96-7W. Classified top secret subject is... Hey, kids! Comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. Welcome back to Hey Kids Comics. Hey, see, it's a, it's a. We're finishing each other. Yes, we're sentences now. It's yeah. it's really good, isn't it? We're so in tune. Yeah, it's good how that um, works works out. Let's move swiftly on. Yes, moving <laughs> swiftly on. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Yes, old episodes. Old episodes. Old episodes have started to take flight at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com L-I-B-S-Y-N A old episode will be going up every Thursday as a new episode goes up every Thursday. So, if you didn't listen to the show from the very beginning, and if not, why not? Now you can. Now you can. And you'll have a double helping of us every week until you get to the episodes where you started listening, obviously. And then... You can stop listening twice, unless you want to listen to them again. We don't. We actively encourage that, don't mm-hmm. we? So we have joined the Two True Freaks Network. Thank you, Scott, Chris, for welcoming us with open arms and loaded weapons. <laughs> two true pimps. Uh, yeah, the two true pimps. Um, uh, emails. Yes. We've no other bits of business to talk about this week, have we? Uh, we've not, no. Yeah. Oh, we're going to... We'll mention this every week. Starting in the autumn, two new the episodes... Autumn will be going up on Podomatic and on Two True Freaks. And then starting in the new year, we will be solely on Two True Freaks. What, two new episodes? Um, the new episodes will go up on Podomatic and on Two True Freaks. Okay. And then after that, they will only go up on um, okay. Two True Freaks. So we're migrating away from Podomatic. So, so you paid £100 for nothing? No, no, it lasted this year. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see out the year with it. And we'll go from there. So, uh, don't migrate your feeds just yet. Although, you, if you subscribe to both of them, I, I heartily recommend you subscribe to Two True Freak. Mm-hmm. The emails, anyway, yes, we were talking about emails. We always say hello to emails, don't we? Hello, email. Hello to emails. Our first email this week is from Kenneth Laster. It says, Hey, Leyland. Hey, Kenneth. I'm holding off on audio due to so much background noise. Sorry, I forgot to link to Holy Musical Batman. It's really long, so it won't be amazing for a commentary. Do you think he's telling us, though, to not click on this link and watch this live? Probably. That seems to me that that's what he's saying, doesn't it? Maybe we should do it anyway. No, okay. If it's really long, we won't. Because the episode's already going to be really long. Yeah. Uh, On the longer conversation on Alan Moore, I read The Killing Joke completely out of context, mainly because I stumbled upon it at the library in which my mother works, which reminds me, I should return a boot from there someday. Yes, they will fine you, Kenneth. That's not good. I'd heard good things about it. Since then, the only Alan Moore thing I've read was Watchmen, because it was on TV the night before and I had a long road trip. I get what Michael says about people reading the first comic they see and claim they are an expert. It seems if I like a fandom, people follow me and I don't like people. That's why I'm happiest reading in the summer. I must redeem myself to Michael because he's the Dick Grayson to my Tim Drake. Relevance! Anywho, now that The Amazing Spider has been released in these cinemas, as you English dudes would say, what do you think about it? 
I know how much Andrew dislikes the costume, but I thought it looked great on the big screen. It echoed the tone of the movie. It's Spider-Man, but it's a bit different. I have to disagree with the reasoning for the costume being for action figures. As I will type to people on the Spider-Man crawl space, it isn't going to be similar to the first three in many ways, because many mainstream moviegoers will complain that they are seeing a repeat. The main complaint I hear is that Peter was too angsty emo, and that why couldn't they go with Raimi's 4 and 5? In my opinion, Peter was an average American teenager who wasn't a part of the cool crowd. I felt that updated Amazing Fantasy 15 to 12 to 12, and you can't fault them for that, because these characters wouldn't be able to survive 50 years without constant change. If anyone asks me what I think about them, I tell them it updates the origin for 2012 and fits into the story they want to tell. What did we think of The Amazing Spider-Man, Michael? I thought it was a better Peter Parker film than a Spider-Man film. I loved Andrew Garfield. I thought he was exceptionally good. Had a good. man crush for him. No, not really. I just thought he was very good. Uh, I had a bit of a man crush on Emma Stone, but not a man. A man crush so that's, that's perfectly okay. Who was great as Gwen Stacy. I was a bit disappointed with how they handled Captain Stacy, but we're not going to ruin it. Just you mean Willem people. Defoe? Yes, except not. <laughs> it looks just like him. It, it, Dennis Leary looks like Willem Defoe. at him, he looks a bit like Willem Defoe. <laughs> Um, on the whole, I give the film a solid 7.5 out of 10. Mm-hmm. I liked that Spider-Man had quippage. Yeah. I liked that there were... Um, web shooters. Yes, thank you. Finishing our sentences again. <laughs> there were web shooters instead of the organic webbing for reasons that I've, I've bored you all with before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't like that they still didn't get the origin right. Scott and I did a just chatting episode the other day where we talked this about this. Did shoehorn in Uncle Ben's death. Yeah, he's, again. It's, Uncle Ben is, was killed by a burglar. And yet he's not. I think it was Scott pointed that out, and it was one of those. Oh yeah, that's a, yeah. Bit, that's a bit. So they've had two like, two times to get that right in ten years and failed both times. Mm. Um, it wasn't awful. There was too many loose ends in it, feeling yeah. like it was scripted, very rushed. But I have high hopes that a sequel will be better, and I like the fact that a the villain. See. Mm, is he a villain? Yeah, he is a villain. But I was going to say he's not dead at the end of it. But I don't know if that would give it away for people. And you, you know um, Norman Osborn's going to be in the second one? Is he? Because that guy that pays him a visit, a visit at the end... Works for Norman works Osborn. For Norman. Yeah, that's fine. I don't mind that. There was something else that I really liked, and I can't remember what it is. Oh, I like the skateboarding Peter Parker. Yeah, I next, mean, some next people... Next day I take out my skateboard and realise why I gave up seven years ago. complained, because you're not good at it. I know. Some people have complained about that. Well, you know, you skateboard. But, like, when you're a kid, yep. there is two ways of you getting around, isn't there? There's your bike... Mm-hmm. And there's a skateboard. So I was like, I have no problem with Peter Parker having a skateboard. See, in the comics, we only ever met him from being Spider-Man. Yeah. So he was web-shooting around town. There's nothing to say he didn't have a skateboard. I liked him writing the equations and stuff on his decks as well. Yeah. Mm. I, I thought he was really good as Peter Parker. Uh, but on the whole, uh, it's seven and a half. Okay. There's still work to be done. Oh, we did promise that we would go Spider-Man. Spider-Man. We did. Friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man. Can he swing? Oh yeah, sorry, we're doing can he swing from a thread. Take a look overhead. Look there. Here goes the Spider-Man. We promised we'd do that. No, (laughs) no. Very good. Is he strong? Listen, bub, he's got radioactive blood. Then it's can he swing. Can he, yeah. Can he swing? (laughs) From a thread. Take a look overhead. Look out. There goes the Spider-Man. No, no. Did you like that? In the chill of the night. At the scene of a crime. He'll arrive just in time. (laughs) Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Does whatever a spider can. There we go. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, uh, Kenneth's email continues. (laughs) 
this isn't in the email. This isn't in the email, though. No. Uh, looking back, I should have just said that and you could have saved your breath. Segway. Anyway, I really love the DC New Frontier coverage. I, re- I really need to read this, but I'm afraid I'll be disappointed by not living up to your epic descriptions. Uh, my mammary ran out of things to say. My mammary? <laughs> my memory ran out of things to say. So, Gwyneth Laster, Boy Wonder. Thank you very much, Kenneth. Uh, New Frontier is better than our description. Is he a Boy Wonder? That turns out he was never a Boy Wonder, even though he's oh, well, if he he's, tells him he was a Boy Wonder. If he's Tim Drake, mm. then he never existed, did he? Well, According was, to uh, San Diego Comic Con. He was apparently never Robin, but Batman issue 1 says he was a former Robin. Yes. Which was my argument I was at. You know what this reeks of? Oh, not, not only them not knowing what they're doing, yeah. obviously, but it reeks of we've realised that this five-year timeline thing doesn't work. I was talking to Captain America about that last Steve night. Steve Rogers, yeah. you mean? Yeah. Right. That's my take on it. And they've looked at it and they've gone, well, we can't get rid of Dick Grayson. Because he's the first and best known, despite the fact that post-crisis there was yep. what five in continuity Dick Grayson as Robin stories, maybe a bit more, but I'm being facetious. But the point yeah. still stands. Uh, and then they can't get rid of Jason Todd mm-hmm. because they put a lot of effort into resurrecting Jason Todd under the Didio regime, yep. haven't they? And they can't get rid of Damien because they don't do don't do anything that would annoy Grant Morrison. <laughs> so they've looked and they've gone right. Well, this Tim Drake guy. Despite the fact he was the most popular Robin we've ever had in continuity, because as I said, there was no Dick Grayson in continuity stories. Despite the fact he's carried his own book for over a hundred issues. And the Red Robin. And the Red Robin title subsequent to that. Mm -hmm. Despite all of this, we didn't create him. He's nothing to do with us. We'll get rid of him. That's what it reeks of. It's still contradicting everything they've published under the new DC. Yeah. Well, issue they, 1 says they, he was a former they Robin. They don't know what they're he, doing. He's Red Robin now. Yeah. And Batman, Batman See, and Robin issue 9, Damien says he will prove himself better than every other Robin. This is the problem I have with this. And we'll, we'll get into this more when we cover the comics that we're going Editorial to cover tonight. Editorial agree with the writers. Yes. And also, the, the, this isn't a reboot. This isn't it's a starting from beginning, yeah. yeah. But they're trying to say that it is so they can have their cake and eat it. Mm-hmm. They're trying to say, all oh, our characters are younger and they've only been around five years. But because they've kept Batman the same, yeah. it does not fit into five years. It can't. So he's had Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake and Damien in five years. And they've gone, eh, wait a minute, no, that doesn't work. It's kind of six... But that doesn't make it much better. Mm. He, g- he gets back from his training six years ago. Right. So he's been around longer than anybody else. Yeah. Okay. That still doesn't fit, does it? No. So w- when did he adopt Dick Grayson? How old was Dick Grayson, therefore, when he adopted him? If five years later he's already Nightwing? Mm. It doesn't make any sense, does it? No. It would have been much better. And I think more people would have accepted it. People like me. Yeah. would have accepted it if, like in Crisis, and what I'm saying like in Crisis, Batman didn't do this in Crisis, but you take my point. They'd have said, this is a new beginning. Oh. And they'd started with Batman and Robin being Dick Grayson, not Damian Wayne. Yeah, or they, they would have left it as Batman carrying on from all DC, but just not bothered saying it was in five years. Yeah. It doesn't work, does it? Because you could still carry it on, you just wouldn't be causing contradictions. Yeah, which is a shame. Because Scott Snyder's Batman is the best Batman has been in years, mm. in my opinion. I think that book's really good at the minute. It is. I really do. Greg anyway. Capo's art's really good as well. Yeah, Greg Capo's art's really good. But David Finch's art's good in The Dark Knight. I'm just not digging on that book as much. No. And I'm not down... Detective Comics and Batman and Robin um, aren't as good either. Um, no. But 
on the whole, the Bat Universe is better for the reboot because the, the creators on the books, books, yeah, the creators on the books are firing on all cylinders. Especially but the backstory makes no sense, and there's too many books. Especially Which now they've added Batman in court. The five-year thing. Oh, right, that. That doesn't fit well, with previous established stuff. Batman Incorporated is only a second-wave title now because Grant Morrison didn't have time to finish his run before the reboot. Mm, so that's how well orchestrated it was. Yeah, and... Um, well, there's too many bat issues, yeah. bat titles, especially if they all are set now instead of yeah. a different parts. Well, that's what I'm saying, what they should have done if they were serious like on action this. And Batman could have been taking place now, yeah. Batman yeah. and Robin should have been about Dick Grayson. But then you wouldn't have had or the Nightwing book. Damien. No. Well, it's Batman and Robin, not it's Batman and Nightwing. No, Dick Grayson as a 15-year-old. Okay. You're starting from so the beginning. So that's set back in yeah. time, right. And do it that way. So, like, were action comics is set at the beginning of the... Superhero age, yeah. Batman and Robin set at the beginning. Yeah, of or at the, is it the, the introduction of Dick Grayson? Okay, and maybe the Dark Knight could have been the couple of years Batman was operating on his own. Yeah, and his first meeting with the Joker and all of that stuff. So a detective, be? detective could be set now. I'm, I'm not really bothered about that. Okay, so you know, well anyway, we have another email because we got sidetracked once again. Though we no? did, yeah. Aiden Mohan, hello to my favourite British duo, is his tagline. Hello. Hello, Aiden. Aiden's not emailed into the show before. I don't think he has. No, we are getting a new email. We are. It's brilliant, that, isn't it? Mm. Uh, well, maybe my second favourite British duo, Anton Deck, may take that coveted spot in my mental list. Anton Deck. Adding insult to injury. I don't think Anton Deck give you this much free entertainment. Now, granted, they do show that guy who used to work for the Queen, who never shuts up about used to work for the Queen, eating kangaroo penis on test television. <laughs> Try to say testicles. Right? Yeah, well, I couldn't remember whether he had kangaroo testicles or kangaroo penis. Oh, it was one of them. I think it's balls. And, and that, that was a, a quality piece of television <laughs> entertainment, it has to be said. But I don't know that they'd be second to no, us. No. Anton Deck? Really? Mm. Mockham and Wise, I could live with that. But Anton Deck? Um, I thought I would send an email to you guys after planning to do it for weeks now. I want to thank you guys so very much for such an exceptional comic book podcast. You guys are able to give your opinion, be it negative or positive, in a fair and balanced manner. For example, Andy dislikes Grant Morrison but doesn't degrade to the he sucks because he's stupid style of argument that some comic fans do quite often. On the other hand, Michael likes Grant Morrison but doesn't declare that anyone who doesn't like Morrison is an asshole. I hope that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. He's got a gun to say pretty much the same thing as well. (laughs) Yeah, You're taking that as a compliment, aren't you? I am, yeah. yeah. Mike Bailey said the same thing. Okay. Every Grant Morrison fan he's ever met is an <laughs> asshole except you. Fair enough. Take that as a compliment. Um, well, see, my thinking on that has always been there are different generations for these things. You're digging most of the new 52. I'm enjoying so, yeah. the ones that, for the most part, it wouldn't have made any difference if they weren't reboot titles. I'm digging on the more Vertigo ones. Which yeah, you like the wouldn't Vertigo. Wouldn't have made a difference if yeah, it wasn't. It wouldn't have made any difference. And somebody's era of something is always somebody's favourite. I'll never forget. I was on a board at some point, some message board, maybe the Burn one when I was still posting that, mm. and uh, I said there was an issue where Spider-Man scripts by Jim Shooter were aliens come to Earth and Spider-Man plays basketball with them. And I decried this as the worst Spider-Man story ever ever written. An opinion I stand behind. But that sounds so cool. And somebody says, my favourite Spider-Man story ever! And I actually learned a valuable lesson from that. That Yes, that story is utter tripe, but But it's it's somebody's favourite. So it's not my place to sit here and say, Grant Morrison sucks and you're wrong for liking him. Mm. 
mm-hmm. because I don't agree with that opinion. I don't like a lot of his work. But you do. But I like some of his yeah. work, so I'm not somebody who's like, everything he writes is trash. Mm. But at the same time, I don't subscribe to the cult of Morrison, that everything he does is automatically gold. Now. Yeah, there's a cult of Morrison. But, you know, there are some people out there who think his Batman run is the greatest thing since bread came sliced. And it's not for me to say they're wrong. Mm. It's just not to my taste. So, but we appreciate you pointing that out. I, I am a big Spider-Man fan, continues Aiden, and thought that Spider-Man Month was incredible. It was a very tasteful and loving shrine, for lack of a better word, to the greatest superhero ever. Even when I disagreed with Andy on Spider-Man, and trust me, that happened a lot, I still felt the love you have for the character. Tell us what you disagreed with! That's part of the fun, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Telling me where I'm wrong. Uh, that's the great thing about characters like Spider-Man and Batman and Superman. The fans are from all over the world, are from all different walks of life, and yet they come together on a character they love. Cultures, religions, or political views are meaningless if you like Spider-Man and I like Spider-Man. We then have something in common, and that's fantastic. Hell, even when fans disagree on storylines, I love the Clone Saga. And other silly things, they still agree upon one thing. Spider-Man's great. Not even the extremely polarising One More Day Brand New Day disaster could split the Spider-Man fandom in half. The same could be said to an extent of all comics, generally. Although I agree with Michael to an extent. Ditko isn't as great as people claim he is. He's surfaceable, but John Romita seriously is much, much better. See... I love John Romita. Mm-hmm. You cannot compare him to Ditko. They are two completely different artists. Yeah, you're right, though. It's a testament to Romita's talent that he was able to take Spider-Man on and make it his own. Yeah. Whereas Ditko... Ditko's shadow over that character still looms large. But I'm, I'm certainly not taken away from Romita's contribution to Spider-Man. And I don't think he's much, much better than Ditko. I think he's a completely different kind of artist. So to compare the two, I think he's folly. I don't think they're in any way the same kind of artist at all, despite the fact they became famous working on the same character. Romita looks better, though. If you say so. Romita draws a better Gwen Stacy. Romita draws a better people. They don't all look funny and... I like that they, you walk down the street and look at people. They don't all look like Jim Lee drawings. Real people have no, distinctive faces. They don't faces. also look like um, Rags Morales people as well. No, they don't. With wonky faces. Yeah, so. Spider-Man is my favourite fictional character ever, and if it wasn't for Spider-Man, I would not be alive today. Without getting into the depressing details, I was a victim of bullying in my year of first grade, first class over there, and got really depressed. At the time, I got seriously into Spider-Man, seriously into comics, and they kept me going. See, that's when comics are cool. Seven years later, I'm 13 years old at the moment, I've got 75 trades and 2,000 single issues, and I've got a job at my local comic book store. Comics are a big part of my life, and Hey Kids is a great comic podcast. God darn, he's got a job at a comic shop. Yeah, you my, don't get a my job. My local comic shop's in Workshop. Manchester, and I have to pay to get to work. It's shocking, that it is. It? The Night End coverage was fantastic, and I've just started listening to the New Frontier coverage. Great stuff. Are you guys reading Before Watchmen? Minuteman is Darwin Cook at his best. Thanks for a great podcast, Aiden M. Mohan. Uh, we're not reading Before Watchmen at the minute, are we? No. Mainly because I just don't think... I don't think we still more than interest any of the in others. it. Why? Darwin Cook and Amanda Connor. Right, see, I, want the, I will probably read the Darwin Cook one. Mm. But I've not got any interest in it. I just... I don't care. I'm not bothered that they've done it. I don't think DC are raping Alan Moore for anything. I don't think they're wrong for doing what they've done. They own the characters and do what the hell they like with them. Mm-hmm. You can accept that or not accept it, but it's the truth of the situation. So, yeah. that's just the way it is. Cult of Moore. Uh, cult of, uh, cult of Moore. Yeah. Shook the head. Though. Yeah, well, they can disagree as much as they want, but yeah. it is a fact. DC own those characters. Tough. 
I'm not getting into the argument about who should own them. I'm not getting into whether whether Alan Moore was screwed over. But the bottom line is DC own those characters and they can do whatever the hell they like with them. And if they've chose to do before Watchmen, then more power to their elbow. But I don't care enough about Watchmen to read them. I'm not somebody who thinks Watchmen is the, the best thing that has ever existed in the history of man. It is a perfectly serviceable comic book in and of itself. It's extremely well written and very gripping. I enjoy it for what it is. I hate what it has become. Yeah. If it just existed and it was this comic book that somebody had done and people said, yeah, it's good, that'd be fine. But it's become the best thing ever! And it isn't the best thing ever, really, to be honest. Uh, P.S. You know what my favourite thing about the show is? I think if it's an alternative reality of my life. My parents are the biggest norms in the whole world. Norm! They look askance at my comics and my Trek, who science fiction and sorted other bits of nerdier. I had to get all of it into it on my own, my introduction to the nerdy world, Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man movie. I was three, and it enthralled me. I've often wondered what my nerdy life would be like if my parents had been into stuff before I introduced them to it. There has to be an alternative reality where that happened. And I like to think I would be a little like Michael in that alternative reality. Just, you know, without the northern accent. Uh, lots of planets have a north. Mm. Thank you, Aidan. That, that's another compliment now. Yes. Someone wants to be like me. Yes. Sort of. I wouldn't let it go to your head. <laughs> Our next Too email... Late. Yeah. Was from... You can't get through that door now. You can't get your two free trees t-shirt on now. Because mm. it won't go over your head. Keith Hedrick has emailed it again. Hello, Keith. Hello. I just got done listening to part two of the New Frontier coverage. It was an excellent podcast, but Hey Kids always lives up to a high standard of podcasting, in my opinion. Thank you very much. Both of you find gentlemen missed something at the very end of the book, or at least did not mention it. When Nate Adams sets off his nukes while in the plane on the inside of the centre, I do not think he is done for. I believe, at least in this timeline, that there was the origin for Captain Atom. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, though. Thank you for the show, Keith Hedrick. Maybe reading too much into it, but I like the sound of it. Yeah. Well, that's twice now. I just think Keith doesn't want people to die. Because <laughs> that's twice he's emailed and said, no, no, not dead. <laughs> Healthy case of denial. But nobody dies in comics. No, they? no. Let's be honest. Thank you very much, Keith. Thank you for the kind words. We do appreciate them. Our next email, DC New Frontier Part 2, from? is from the mighty Michael Bailey. I'm just going to make myself comfortable. Make yourself comfortable. It's a good one. Hi there, y'all. You've got to do it in that accent. Oh, yeah. Hello there, Michael. You have to. I hate to start the email talking about Jim Gordon's little Jimmy, but Michael is right. You do see it in the killing job. I told you. I've obviously just blanked that from my memory, but I have no interest in seeing a man's member at all. No, I'm sorry, I don't, I, I don't care. Moving swiftly on. I'm really glad you liked the opening credits to G.I. Joe the movie. Again, it is the best part of the movie. Do not watch the rest of the movie. And yes, they did have laser blasts because you couldn't show bullets on kids' television. It does make for some weirdness, like the fact that shells are popping out of General Hawk's rifle even though he's firing laser bolts, but whatever. When I was 11, that song was 16 different kinds of awesome, and I have to admit that even now, at 36, the hairs on the back of my neck go up when the first chorus of the theme kicks in. I'm not in the least bit ashamed to admit of this, mainly because I am 36 and have no issues revelling in my geekhood. No, and well, you should not. Because I'm farter and revel in my geekhood. I've got to the point where I think that it's the growing up thing's just not going to happen. No. Before I go on, I would like to say that I've really enjoyed you reading emails at the beginning of the episodes. Good. <laughs> That's fortunate. Yeah. The little side conversations are such that you get into a great warm-up for the rest of the show. Good idea, Michael. Oh, thank you, Michael. For the 
God, if Michael and I were going to be Mike 1 and Mike 2, then I have no issues being Mike 2. If the Superman of Earth 2, as well as the rest of the Justice Society, didn't have a problem with the younger heroes referring to their old as Earth 1, then I will follow their example. On the odd chance that we ever meet face-to-face, I will have t-shirts made up. <laughs> we have to go to Superman Celebration now, then, just to make that happen. Do we? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just want you two walking around in t-shirts. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I really enjoyed Michael's thoughts on Alan Moore. Before I continue, I want to make something perfectly clear. When I say that I am about to say about Grant Morrison that his fans, I am speaking in generalisations. I do not include Michael in any of these opinions because I have found him to be very articulate in his love for Morrison's writing and put him in the same class as people like podcaster Chris Johnson who like and respect Morrison but don't look down on those who don't care for Grant's work. So when I write what I'm about to write, I am not talking about Michael. So have we established that you're not going to get upset about this now? I'm going to get upset anyway, aren't I? Anyway, Michael's and Andy's thoughts on Alan Moore echo my own. Moore has written some very solid stories but really hasn't created anything of his own like other British writers have. I like Watchmen a great deal as well as his Superman and Green Lantern stories but I find it annoying that his fans put him on a pedestal when all he does is come up with new ideas for other people's creations. Are there new takes on those characters? Yes. Is that important? Absolutely. Did Watchmen break new ground in deconstructing the superhero? Uh, kind of. Steve Gerber played with the same ideas in his Defenders run. Moore just got better press, and frankly, with the bastardizations of Moore's and Frank Miller's idea that gave us the last 20 some odd years of superhero comics, it might have been better if Watchmen had never happened. Isn't that what we essentially were just saying? Hmm. Sometimes it's like two minds in one single body. Well, like Max Headroom. Going back to why I agree with Michael and about Alan Moore and Killing Joke is that it's not a very good story. There are good moments in the story, but frankly I think writers like Denny O'Neill did a much better job exploring a murderous Joker than Moore did. All Moore contributed was shooting Barbara and establishing that the Red Hood had a number of inhabitants, which I quite liked. Otherwise, it's a lot of grim and gritty for the sake of being grim and gritty, and the story's just a bore to reread. But because Moore wrote it, his acolytes, much like those that aren't Michael or Chris Johnson that worship at the feet of Grant Morrison, will praise it up and down one side of the street and then down another. So... Good tangent to both of you. And Andy's right. Any writer can tell a story with no constraints, or as John Travolta's character in the movie Primary Colors said, any jackass can burn down a barn. The true writer is one that can work within the constraints of a character's world, and that is why I can't consider Moore a good Superman writer. Sure, he's written some good Superman and Superman-like stories in the pages of Supreme, but put him on the title with an editor that will rein him in for a year or two and see how well he would do. I'm not saying he would fail, I'm just saying I would like to see him try. Yeah... Given Moore's fractious relationship with DC, I don't see that happening anytime soon. No. But it would be good to give him a run on Superman. And a, a substantial run of, say, a couple of years where he got yeah. to tell a Superman story. But at the end of it, he had to leave Superman in such a way that the next writer could just come along and pick up. Instead of killing him. Yeah, you know so let's want. see how good of a run he could do within those constraints. Getting into the new frontier proper, the coverage continues to be excellent. Thank you, Michael. I've been rereading my absolute and picking up on things that I didn't notice before. Some things are subtle, some are in the background. Some, like the Dr. Seuss thing, I never noticed and feel rather thick for having missed it. <laughs> and his pronunciation of Martian Manhunter's true name is very interesting. <laughs> I think that's a, a polite way of saying yeah. that sucked, don't do it again. <laughs> I will not be adopting it myself, but I appreciate the effort he puts into trying to make it sound alien. Andy touched on the scene with Superman and Batman, and I, like Andy, loved that Superman and Batman were working together from the start. It makes both characters look better, in my opinion. I grew up comic book-wise in an era when two characters didn't like each other, but after an early childhood of watching the Super Friends, I get a kick out of seeing the world's finest team together. Cuckoo earns extra points for having the fight between Superman and Batman rigged so that Batman would appear to win, as I am in the camp that believes that Batman can't take Superman in a fight. 
seeing them work together, especially in the scene where Robin meets Superman, does my cold black fan heart a lot of good, and the artwork is just fantastic on these pages. Someone needs to send that email to uh, Jeff Loeb. Why? Batman can't take Superman in a fight. No, he can't. It's just ridiculous. That's fan wankery at its highest level. That. <laughs> fan wankery. Yeah, it really is. I despise that. There are so many ways Superman could just take Batman out without even blinking. In a flick. Yeah. It would just... Yeah. What's that, Bruce? Can't hear him six miles away. <laughs> Andy mentions towards the end of the episode that New Frontier isn't Superman's story, and sadly I have to agree. However, the scene where he delivers his speech to the gathered heroes is my favourite in the story. When New Frontier was coming out as single issues, I would devour the new issues as soon as it came out because there was such a long stretch between instalments. When I got to this scene, I was literally pumping my fist in the air because I am a huge fan of Superman having enough of everybody's stuff and telling his fellow heroes to get their act together and save the day. It was so exhilarating to watch because of how Superman had been acting through the course of the story. So imagine the shock and horror I felt when just a few pages later it seemed like Cook had killed him. My mouth hung open. Holy <laughs> He just killed Superman. I literally shouted, much to the confusion of the other people in the break room at work. Andy talked about how he likes having his emotions toyed with, and I am the same way. I want a writer to get me emotionally involved in the story, and boy did Cook suck me in here. After Superman went down, I was thinking, that's it, we're screwed, there's no way we're getting out of this one. And then the issue ended, and I had to wait two whole months until the next one came out. This was one of the last times where I felt I had to get the next issue, and it's one of the reasons New Frontier is so important to me. While I liked Infinite Crisis and all the issues leading up to that, excitement could not rival what I felt for this story, which is why New Frontier will always be special to me. So whilst the story reads very well in one sitting, I have to tell you that it was all kinds of awesome to read it in single issues as well. Um, just see, well, we can't comment on that because we didn't. No. And even if I'd bought them in single issues, I probably would have waited and read them all in one go. Probably. Which does kind of ruin single serialised fiction. Just a bit. But, you know. I was driving around today on a quest that proved fruitless and had an epiphany about this story. It is the anti-Watchmen. It has all the trappings of Watchmen. Dense story, bold character study, political subtext, disturbing scenes, text pieces that fill in the narrative, and even a sort of giant squid at the end. <laughs> Thematically, our... It, 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 it is the exact opposite. Watchmen seem to be about how superheroes are kind of silly and how the world just doesn't need them. It deconstructs the superheroes to show the flaws in the genre and how in the real world this stuff wouldn't fly. New Frontier deconstructs the superheroes as well, but only to show how utterly freaking awesome they are and how a world in turmoil needs heroes to look up to. At the end of Watchmen, the world is united, but all because of a lie. And while Night Owl and Silk Spectre are going to continue being heroes, it's mainly to piss off Ozymandias. At the end of New Frontier, the Justice League forms to fight Stara. While Watchmen is, well, if not overly written, the whole affair is just depressing. New Frontier leaves me inspired and satisfied. Both have their place, but at the end of the day, I would rather read New Frontier and cheer as the heroes save the day, rather than watch Dr. Manhattan kill Rorschach for no good reason. <laughs> well, I've taken enough of your time. I eagerly wait your discussion about the animated version of the film, as it's still my favourite of the DC animated movies. That's when we think, no. What? If... What's oh, hold on a second. Take her, Leyland's cheers, Mike. Cheers, Michael. Cool. Okay, what's the point of writing a comic about how the world doesn't need superheroes and then make the superheroes real people? If people read comics to read about superheroes because they live with normal people where there are no superheroes. Because this is what Alan Moore and a lot of other writers, primarily British but not necessarily do, mm -hmm. is they deconstruct it to the point where it's stupid. It doesn't make sense that this, these, you have superheroes. Yeah. But the point is, when you make it too real, it doesn't work anymore. It's because the comics... It works if you forget it's stupid. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, no, it's kind of like... There has to be a certain level of suspension of disbelief to buy into superheroes full stop. 
Okay. And I don't think it's just a comic thing, because you only have to see how much people have loved the Avengers. Yeah. Everybody's loved the Avengers, from people just walking in, what should we go watching tonight? Everyone's enjoyed the Avengers. So uh, no, no, but not everybody thinks superheroes are silly. It's just a small contingent of people who unfortunately have been paid to write superhero comics. Warren Ellis is another one that springs immediately to mind. Yeah. It just gets a bit tiresome. Warf's, Warren Ellis is better when he's not writing Yeah, War- Garth Ennis. Garth Ennis is one of my favourite comic book writers. Yeah. I will read anything Garth Ennis does unless it's a mainstream superhero book. Or In Dynamite. which case... No, I'm reading The Boys, I'm reading The Shadow, I think The Shadow's great. Okay. I'm really digging on The Shadow. The minute you put him on Batman, or Superman, or Daredevil, or whatever the hell, I'm not touching it. Pooping his pants on his first night. Yeah, and it's just, I'm not having none of that. I'm not interested in it. I mean, to his credit, he now seems to be like, it just doesn't interest me, so I'm not going to write it. Yeah. So, fair enough. Warren Ellis hasn't learned that yet. <laughs> well. Although yeah. Transmetropolitan's still my favourite story. Yeah, well, that's, again, when Warren Ellis is writing his own stuff. Mm-hmm. Ministry of Space was good. Until you read all of it. Uh, see, it's the thing with Ministry of Space, it's got an excellent primary conceit. That okay. At the end of World War II, the British smuggled the German scientists out of Germany. Okay. And we, therefore, had a space programme, not America. Right. And it's an excellent premise for a story. It's a brilliantly drawn piece of work by Chris Weston. You get to issue three of this three-issue limited series. You get to mm, fourth or fifth page from the end of this three-issue limited series. And you get the nice big twist in the story that the main guy who's brought us to the brink of utopia, Britain is on the edge, the British Empire is straight out across the stars, we're on the verge of conquering Mars at this point, and it is discovered that he did all of this by essentially killing a few American soldiers to get those German soldiers out of the way first and stealing Nazi gold. And it was the Nazi gold that funded the project that got us into space. And this is an excellent second act twist to lead in to the conclusion of the story. Yep. But then it just ends. That's the end! And you're like, what? What? Where's where's the rest? What happened? What the... What? And I just felt so let down by it. It it sounds better than um, Straczynski's Thor, though. Well, Straczynski quit Thor in a big strop, didn't he? he? It was very, very enjoyable. It was really good. Yeah, it's excellent. Until you got to the very last issue, on the very last page. And he just stopped. Keemdor says, well, now we know what Loki's plan is, and we must stop him. The end. Yeah, but he left Thor in a big strop, didn't he, because yeah. of some incoming crossover. Warren Ellis, Ministry of Space, is a, is a creator-owned title. Where yeah. was issue four? Where was the second miniseries that carried on this story? And it's just it such a disappointment. Anyway, our next email, because we're, we're really... <laughs> I don't know if people are appreciating these longer episodes. Mark Camphausen has emailed in. Hello, Mark. Another new one. It's nice to have new people on board. I just wanted to chime in my thoughts on G.I. Joe the movie. <laughs> Which you guys are recommended to avoid watching. Hey, Kids Comics, a G.I. Joe podcast. In my opinion, G.I. Joe the movie is absolute brilliance. I've been watching this movie since 1987, and to this day, whenever I watch it, by the time the movie reaches its conclusion, I am unable to stay seated because it has my adrenaline pumping. Now, I may very well be the only person on planet Earth who likes this movie, because I'll ever hear of folks complaining about it, but I'm okay with that. Most complaints centre around continuity issues. My feelings are, if a movie's this much fun, I don't give a crap about continuity. The movie is wall-to-wall action. The dialogue is beyond brilliant. How can dialogue such as, Die, arrogant Earth, scum! ever be frowned upon. I love Serpentor. In fact, I would probably love any character who ends every other sentence with this, I command! 
the start of the next generation would be so much better if Picard's catchphrase was This I command instead of Make it so. Ensign, set a course for Vulcan. Warp 8. This I command. Brilliant. That is actually quite good, that, yeah. isn't it? Maybe a cup of tea, Michael. This I command! Yeah. <laughs> Sergeant Slaughter rocks this movie in the ass kicking he gives Nemesis Enforcer during the climactic battle is on a par with the ass kicking the Hulk gave Loki in the Avengers. It has me cheering every time I watch it. The score for the movie really helps keep the pulse pounding throughout each battle. The voice acting is fantastic and is delivered with such forceful impact you really get the feeling everyone is throwing everything they've got into it. As it should be, since the fate of the entire Earth hangs in the balance. Make no mistake, this is an absolutely stupid movie. Turning off your brain is a necessity, but it is fun. There's even a giant vagina in the Himalayas which aircraft passed through in order to enter Cobra Hala headquarters. Just absolute genius. The movie never gets old for me and I have difficulty understanding people's antipathy towards it. I say turn your brain off, turn the way off, turn it way off, grab some popcorn and check it out. Thanks as always for an entertaining podcast. You're very welcome, Mark. We have turned into a G.I. Joe podcast. We are a G.I. Joe podcast. Speaking of G.I. Joe, (laughs) our next email is from the illustrious Luke Giaconetta. Subtitle still beyond the final frontier. Luke's email begins this month, week, era, whatever, with, you take the good, you take the bad. You take them both, and there you have those Leyland boys. Is that like the Duke boys? I don't know. Are we like the Duke boys? Maybe. Possibly. Hey gents, I really enjoyed your coverage of the second half of New Frontier. I tore through the two trade paperbacks when I read them and your podcasts have made me eager to read them once more. I've really enjoyed hearing that more than anything. What? That we've either made people read this again. Or want to read it. Or want to read it. To me, that is the biggest compliment people can pay us. Doing your job. Yeah, that's, that, that, we've, that we have sold them on this book so much they want to go and read it. Okay. And certainly New Frontier is well worth it. Yeah. It's an excellently bu- it's an excellent book. Excellently written, excellently drawn. Comics at its finest. Mm-hmm. The presence of Ace and the other challengers of the unknown, along with the Blackhawks and Adam Strange, really helps sell this story for me. Whilst most comic book fans think of the DC Silver Age as being primarily the Justice League and a few genre books, the fact is there was a depth and a breadth to the DCU of the late 50s and 60s which I don't think has ever been matched when it comes to sheer creativity. The challengers, to me, represent the perfect transition which Cook is talking about all throughout the series. They're just regular humans, one of very skilled and very brave, but otherwise regular Joes, who put their lives on the line to search out the great unknown, the very new frontier which Kennedy, and thus Cook, refers to. I really liked their recent New 52 turn in DCU Presents, but personally I would love to see DC do a period Challengers piece, an untold tale of the Challengers from before the rise of the heroes in the late 1950s. Similar sentiment goes to Rick Flagg Sr., who in my mind is the definition of a squirt in the old-fashioned sense of the word. He can look you dead in the eye and tell you what's on his mind because he has nothing to hide. He is who he is. I love the bit with his son in the epilogue, which is just as telling for Rick Flagg Jr. as it is for his father. There is a Justice League episode, Task Force X, which features the squad infiltrating the Watchtower. At the end, Flagg Jr. walks away from the other members of the squad, with the other members threatening him. Flagg stirs them down and said, Some of us don't have to be blackmailed into serving their country. See, I've not seen that one yet. No. I'm still working through Justice League, so I'll look forward to that one. The centre, as all-powerful ag- allegory for the threat of communism, is well used. Like the Red Menace, it's faceless, hard to grasp, and seemingly different to every person who looks at it. But at the end of the day, it's still a threat and a big one at that. Cook said on the DVD special features that he's amazed that more people didn't make the communism connection with the centre, pondering if perhaps it was too obvious. I know that when I read the story, that was what I took out of it, so I felt vindicated when Cook said as much on the DVD. Visually, when everything gets all trippy and goes to hell, as you say, man, that's some fantastic stuff. Reminds me a lot of the early American psychedelic art from the early 1960s, as I'm sure it was supposed to, and really just demonstrates a lot of the strengths of the medium. Mmm, yes. 
we liked the ending. We did. It was very good. Um, can we just point out at this point that that is such an obvious metaphor that we no, didn't we get it? <laughs> and there's us leafing through this for every little bit of subtext that we could leech out of it. And there's a blindingly obvious one at the end of the book that neither of us got. We're just that good. Oh, God, yeah. Sometimes. If there's ever a point where all these people are emailing and saying, we really enjoy your show and your head gets too big, just remember that. That there's a blindingly obvious allegory at the end of New Frontier that we completely missed. My two true t-shirt. Oh, dear God. Uh, yeah, your head's gone back down. Um, yeah, sometimes a cigar's just a cigar, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You guys touch briefly on how modern cars have no style, and to a large extent I agree with you. Regarding quote-unquote green cars, such as the Toyota Prius, the Chevy Volt, the Nissan Leaf, and so forth, remember that, at least in the US, driving such a vehicle is the equivalent status-wise to a minivan in the 80s or an SUV in the 90s. It's a status symbol that speaks of how supposedly with it and hip the owner is, because they're trendy at the moment. Unfortunately, the cars themselves are ugly as sin, and the performance off nowhere near their boast, but hey, at least there's a chance your vote will catch fire with you in it and you'll end up on the news. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, give me a 1971 Dodge Charger any day. Now some random notes from the extra long email segment. G.I. Joe the movie. <laughs> oh, G.I. Joe the bloody movie. It's something of a splitting factor in G.I. Joe fandom. Maybe we should take the time out to re- remind our listeners that we're a comic book podcast. <laughs> G.I. Joe's a comic, man. We, we cover... All of the comic industry. Not just G.I. Joe. Marvel, DC, <laughs> underground titles. And G.I. Joe. Mostly G.I. Joe. Mostly G.I. Joe. Um, G.I. Joe the movie is a splitting factor in G.I. Joe fandom. You either love it or hate it. I happen to disagree with Michael Bailey and love it. It's a crazy science fiction story with a hidden race of evolved reptile and insect creatures in the Himalayas and their attempt to devolve all human life on Earth. It's not serious military fantasy, but the cartoon never was. Furthermore, while Rocky Balboa never became a G.I. Joe, the character Michael alluded to, the fridge took Rocky's place in the toy line as a sports figure who served as a physical education instruction. His potential rival did. There is a Cobra character named Big Boa, who, like Rocky, is a boxer, and serves as Cobra's hand-to-hand combat instructor. He even comes with little red boxing gloves with the Cobra logo on them, and he's included a link that we're going to look at. Why is he wearing... Bane's helmet from the Dark Knight Rises. Um, That's an unusual looking action figure, isn't it? Is that the same body moulds that they used for He-Man? Because it looks quite similar. Only with added spikes. Only with added spikes. I'm not much of a fan of Rocky V, mostly because it plays like Rocky fanfic more so than a Rocky movie, but that's just my take on it. I really liked the last film, Rocky Balboa, and the presentation of the boxing in that film was one of the best depictions of the sport on film I have ever seen. Yeah, Rocky Balboa was great. Okay. Uh, have you never seen Rocky Balboa? I have. Have you? A long time ago. Yeah, it's really good, Rocky Balboa. I, I'm very grateful of the fact Stallone seems to have decided that that's the perfect end to Rocky's saga and he's not making any more. Yeah. He keeps going on about making Rambo 5, however. Does he? Yeah, which is a shame because Rambo 4 was not only great, but also a very good ending. I thought he, to went, Rambo. he went through his full name final film phase. Yeah, but he's got over that. Uh. He's realised there's money in them, though, Hills. Okay. My only problem with Ram- John Rambo, the last Rambo film, yeah. it's um, a political treatise on the political situation in Burma. The people who are interested in the political situation in Burma probably aren't going to watch a Rambo film. And the people who want to watch a Rambo film 
probably don't care about the political situation in Burma. But that being said, it's an enjoyably good film, and Julie Benz is in it. So, we like that. Andy, you questioned whether Alan Moore had done a long run on a non-creator-owned title. Swamp Thing? Did I do that? Because I knew about Swamp Thing. Didn't we not say, had he contributed in some way to a non-creator? I don't remember what we said. Well... I'll take your word for that. You know what he did to Swamp Thing? Uh, no. He completely rechanged the character. Did he? Yep. Oh, right, okay. He, he made it so that Swamp Thing wasn't a man who died and turned into a plant creature anymore. He changed it so that he found out he was a plant who wanted to be a person that turned into a plant thing so much that he thought he was, that he began to live his fancy and believe it. I was the insect that dreamt I was a man, but now the dream is over. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. Also, I thought your reaction to changing Spider-Man's costume for the new movie to be very telling. We, as a collective comic book fanboy whole, bemoan tweaking with Webhead's costume as well. We should, because it's a classic. But we not only accept, but readily applaud big changes with Iron Man's armour. It's part of the Iron Man paradigm. Tony is always tinkering, always refining, always making something new. So while it does give us more toys to buy, and I do so love buying Iron Man toys, Shellhead fans never seem to mind that much. Well... Except for his new armour. Well, that possibly. But also... It's been a part of the character from the beginning, hasn't it? That changes. Iron Man changes yeah. his suit. He updates as technology updates, and it makes perfect sense. It even S- If Spider-Man had changed his costume every five issues, yeah. we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. Nope. My problem with it is that we've got to the point now where Spider-Man's costume is an undisguised classic. Yeah. It looks fine in live action. It doesn't look as dopey as possibly some superhero costumes could do. It looked fine in the Sam Raimi movies. Whatever your opinion of the Sam Raimi movies, the Spider-Man costume looked dope. The costume in the new film is one of the reasons I only give it 7.5 out of 10. The costume's crap, isn't it? But it makes sense. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. It is. A, it's sportswear. Yes. He'd wear sportswear. So, why can't that sportswear look like the proper costume? Because his proper costume doesn't look like sportswear. It can do. That, that costume that Andrew Garfield wears in that movie could have been made to look like the Steve Yitko designed costume and made of exactly the same material that it was made of in the film, and it in probably would have looked fine. Design. Yeah. Okay. And it would have been fine. But then in that case, why change the Green Lantern costume? Did they change the Green Lantern costume for the film? Yep. Because apparently um, the one, the Ethan Van Skiver designed one, yeah. just apparently looked too old and dated, apparently. Okay, fair enough. Um, lines and crappy CGI is great. Well, because the costume's CGI in the Green Lantern movie, isn't yeah. it? It's not a real costume. Uh, Luke's email continues. You mentioned the animated series Batman Over the Edge, previously covered on the Couch Potato series. Yes, we did, didn't we? We did that as a commentary. And I have to say that Bane is my favourite line from that episode. When he encounters Batman on the roof, Bat simply says, Bane. To which he responds, I am pleased you remember me, Mr. Wayne. Just a great delivery by Henry Silver. That is the best use of Bane outside of the comics. Mm -hmm. And I don't hold that much hope for The Dark Knight Rises, to be honest with you, in terms of Bane. Um, anyway, this is long enough, so I'll sign off. Me looking forward to hearing your guys' thoughts on the new Frontier movie and other stuff down the road, Luke. P.S. The Universal Greeting is not Interlac. It's actually from Transformers the movie, the animated one from 1986. It becomes something of a running joke and is repeated several times throughout, including once by Eric Idle, which is just plain bizarre. But that's Transformers for you. Thank you very much, Luke. Always nice to hear from you. But our next email is from Gabriel Jimenez. Hello, Gabriel. Hello. Hello, Leylands. This is subject heading. Hey guys, hey Gabriel. Feels like it's been a while since I last wrote in. Just finished listening to your night's end specials, all three of them in one sitting, and found it to be quite enjoyable. I remember going to quite. <laughs> I love Gabriel's understatement. 
<laughs> it was quite enjoyable. It could have been better, but... Because yeah. Gabriel has only came up with Sufficiently Silly, yeah. which I still adore. <laughs> sufficiently Silly. Still want me to t-shirt, yeah. I'm still going to be the t-shirt, yeah. I remember reading them not too long after they originally came out and liking them well enough, though not nearly as exciting to me as Nightfall. Quick point, Tom Grummet rocks. Yes, he does. He's an incredible artist and there isn't anything I've seen of him that I haven't enjoyed immeasurably. His run on Robin in particular is what comes to mind when I think of him. You mentioned gaining interest in the Robin series. Go for it. It's one of my favourite series. I set out to collect all 100 of the Dixon penned issues and while still haven't yet succeeded, I do have around 60 of them and not one disappointing issue in the bunch. The one thing I will say is the title does cross over into the Meiji storylines too often. That's annoying, but hey, that's how the Bat books rolled back in the day. I agree that after the whole Night Saga, Bane was a pale shadow of his former self, but I really enjoyed what Gail Simone did with him in Secret Six. He's a very different character, deeper and more nuanced than previous iterations, but very much an enjoyable member of a group of villainous mercenaries. I very much enjoyed the Your Wife's Moms for Michael cameo during one of the episodes. I like the family aspect of the show has, and I think either the mum or the other kids pop up every once in a while is quite fun. Thank you. We enjoy roping the others in, don't we? Well, they don't. No, they're not fond of it, but we like it. It's better than listening to us all the time, isn't it? Uh, I, now, this next thing is out of the realm and comics is aimed at Andrew. Oh, here we go. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm getting married in under three weeks. Oh, congratulations, Gabriel. Very congratulations. You'll have to send a, put a thingy up. I don't know if Gabriel's on Facebook. Thingy. Yeah, yeah. Thingy. Do a wedding photo. Give us that thing. Yeah, we want to see a wedding photo. I am very happy and excited about that. Good. I should hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Admirable quality in a groom to be excited about marriage. It's sufficiently entertaining. It's sufficiently entertaining. <laughs> it appears that you get along smashingly with your wife, and I was wondering if you had any suggestions, pointers on a successful marriage. <laughs> um, I would love to give you my wealth and experience in dealing with the fur opposite sex. <laughs> As soon as I have any, I'll let you know. I don't want to take that on at all. <laughs> but congratulations, Gabriel, and future Mrs. Gabriel. We hope you have a lovely day, and we want to see a marriage photo. Would it not be a future Mrs. Jimenez? Yes, that would be it. <laughs> I not like the idea of Mrs. Gabriel. That's quite fun as well. Well, that's it for me. I'm at work. I want to get some more stuff done when I head back home. Keep up the great work, guys. Latest, Gabriel Jimenez. <laughs> it's always nice to hear from you, Gabriel. Oh, and he's, he's emailed back to us. Ooh, I'm currently listening to the first New Frontier episode. No, you might join the TTF Network. Two True Freaks, for those that haven't been paying attention. Cool. I'm happy in that hopefully this will mean the previous episodes will be available and I'll be here to hate your... I'll be able to hear your take on Preacher and Sandman. I'll have lots to say about those, I'd imagine. Hmm. Would that mean that the feed for your show would go away and you'd appear under the Two True Freaks feed? Because I get confused with all the content they have and have a knack of losing track of what I've downloaded and haven't. Still, that'd be cool that you guys are joining Scott's ever-expanding podcasting empire. Catch you later, cool cats. Gabriel. You're very welcome, Gabriel. It's like we planned that, isn't it? First of all, let's not forget Chris Honeywell. Okay. When we mentioned two true feats. Chris is a huge part of the show and deserves every bit of credit we can give to him. Who's it. the bigger pimp? Who does, the, who does the money go to? Uh, one would imagine Scott keeps all the money. I yeah. don't know why. I just get that impression. And he, he kind of just doles it out to Chris every now and again <laughs> when Chris wants some food. <laughs> but no, let's not forget Chris when we mentioned Two True Freaks. Secondly, it's like we planned that, isn't it? Yes, we are joining the Two True Freaks network. We already have, as you're listening to this, three, count them, three of our very first episodes are already up uh, with new ones to follow. So thank you for allowing us to plug that again. Just don't go back and listen to them. No, they'll be fine. Um, yeah, it was good. <laughs> Our final email tonight is from Jonathan Kreitz. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Mm. 
If I'm not, let me know, Jonathan. Uh, Night's End is the simple title. Howdy, guys. I've been meaning to listen to your show for a while. Well, we've only been doing it 18 months. Oh, yeah. No rush. Uh, and I just hopped on with the three episodes covering Night's End. Great stuff. You really have a good rapport. I haven't read the Night's Trilogy in years, but was first introduced to it by Denny O'Neill's novel, which is excellent, by the way. I have fond memories of it and wonder how much of that story will play into The Dark Knight Rises. Congrats on joining the Two True Freaks family of shows. I am listening to the first one right now. Excellent. The very first. The very first one. We did Superman Secret Origin. We did. Thank you for that email. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, thank you to everyone who emailed in this week. We always appreciate hearing from you. Again, we are on Facebook. Hey yeah. Kids is the first name. Comics is the surname. You can chat with us on there if you want to. Michael's on Facebook on his own. I'm not, because I can't be bothered none of that filth. <laughs> but if you want to be on the show to provoke a discussion, it's better to email us, because I really do forget yeah. where I've been talking to people on Facebook. I'm not. It's not deliberate. I'm not shunning anyone I talk to on Facebook it's just we record no, these episodes two weeks in advance of you hearing them so I've forgotten the conversations I do apologise for what one week we should do a Hey Kids Comics chat thing and on Skype and he phone in and say you guys suck <laughs> stop sucking <laughs> you guys uh, suck stop sucking dude or someone, someone has, see the problem with doing that is someone on phone and say can I ask you a question? What does it feel like to suck so much? And we'd send them away. And then someone else would come on and they'd say, oh, you're actually quite good. We'd just reply to that with Ask Your Mum. Oh. Um, yeah, the problem with that is most of the people who listen to the show are on the other side of the world. There is that. So that would, that would be a problem with that. Anyway, we are going to take a quick break to lubricate our throats. But not in that way. <laughs> and um, we'll be right back as we start New 52 Month. This is Michael's baby. Sort of. So, sort of. So we'll be right back with Justice League 1 through 6. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth. Destruction directed, 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 directed. Hey, you! Yes, you! Hearing this message. Do you like podcasts? Well, evidently you do because you're listening to one right now. Do you like giant monsters? Of course you do. Who doesn't like giant monsters? Well, then have I got the show for you. Earth's Destruction Directive is the newest Daikaiju podcast on the internet. And we talk about all your old favorites, like Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah, and Gamera. But also lesser-known monsters, like Yappa, Yangari, and Giawa. We cover everything, from movies, to comic books, to video games, and we're kicking it old school. This is breaking news. We are receiving word that Earth's Destruction Directive is now a part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. Listeners are advised to stay in their homes and listen to all of the fine quality podcasts on the Two True Freaks Podcast Network, available at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. We now return you to your regularly scheduled broadcast. Wait a minute. Is this true? Earth's Destruction Directive is now on the Two True Freaks Network? You bet your oxygen destroyer it is. So if you love atomic-powered, fire-breathing, hardcore, giant monster action, then head on over to 2 
www.libsyn.com and check out Earth Destruction Directive. We're turning all of your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. And we're back. Uh, so, following on the heels of the conclusion of Flashpoint, the first of the much ballyhooed DC relaunch, the new 52 was announced. August 31st, 2011, the date of the final issue of Flashpoint shipped, also saw the release of Justice League number one, which is not that far away from where we are, is it? No. So this has almost been in place an entire year. Didn't think this thing would go the distance. I'll be brutally honest, I had no real opinion on the new 52 when I first heard it announced. There was a feeling of both having been there and done that, and also I'd pretty much lost all interest in the regular DC comics at that time. Superman hadn't seemed to have a direction since the late 90s, and the books had just come out of a very long and convoluted storyline, New Krypton, and then jumped straight into another long and convoluted storyline, Doomsday in Action Comics, and Grounded in the Superman book, neither of which, as we've mentioned, did much for me. You liked Doomsday in Action Comics, didn't you? I still haven't read it. And Grounded we have covered... Yeah. So go back and listen to those two episodes to see what we thought of that. Uh, my other fave, the Batman, was deeply embroiled in the Grant Morrison era. And again, I've made my feelings on Morrison's writing known in the past. Kind of so no. we're not bothered too much about that now. For a while, Grant Morrison left the Batman titles to do his own Batman titles, such as Batman Incorporated or Batman and Robin. Yeah, but it was still very much his take on the character. It was, was the one that was Dick prevalent. Grayson, yeah. yeah, wasn't it? Um, I was. In, I enjoyed the Paul Dini stuff. Streets of Gotham. But was that Dick Grayson? Yeah, I think. But mostly, I kind of lost touch with the Dark Knight. The only other regular boot that I think we were reading was Zatanna. Yeah. Because of Paul Dini and your slight crush on Zatanna. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> huh? There's, there's, I don't, yeah, no wrong with Zatanna. I had read some of the retroactive boots, and that was about it. So DC wiping the slate clean and starting again seemed like it could be, potentially, a good idea. Granted, I'd hate it if Marvel did it. Though I do think that the X-Men is now so convoluted it could do with the slate wiper. But given that DC seemed to cherry pick its history for as long as I've been reading, I mean, can we really see that the Batman of the Denny and Neil Neil Adams run or the Engelhart Rogers Austin run is the same Batman that ran around with Batmite and Journey to Other Planets? <laughs> I just bought into it, I just all seemed fine. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine my surprise. Meet the new universe, same as the old universe. Yes, there's some cosmetic changes to costumes and stuff, not so egregious, I couldn't live with them. And yes, there were some changes to backstories here and there, with the obvious exception of Superman's costume. Of course. Which I think is kind of sucky. I like it. I've not got used to it, I just, it hasn't grown on me at all. And I see pictures of the new film. And it's the same. And it's the same, but it looks even worse than on a real person. And it's kind of like, you've got this idea, they've changed the costume to remove the pants. Yeah. To get rid of that. You know, the underpants on the right side of his trousers. But the one they've replaced it with doesn't look much better. I don't know what it is. It's just not growing on me. I appreciate people like it. Fair play to you. But it's not doing much for me. Henry Cavill looks fine. I don't, don't have much of a problem with him. But the suit just... Apparently, he screen tested for the part in Christopher Reeve's suit. Right. I want to see that. Okay. I want to see what he looks like in a proper Superman costume. If he's any better. Yeah. If I buy him anymore. Anyway, um, as we were saying, 
once again, DC wanted to have their cake and eat it. So Batman, for example, had pretty much the same continuity and backstory pre-New 52 and post-New 52. In fact, many of the same creative people would be handling him. So I didn't understand how this was any different to the post-Crisis on Infinite Earths when the Bat editors of the time decided they didn't want to do a Ground Zero reboot of Batman, thank you very much, so it's pretty much business as usual, except Jason Todd's origin was different. How is this any different again to a Bat book circa 1987, when the reader wasn't sure what was in continuity anymore? So the Joker's five-way revenge is still canon, but none of the Dick Grayson Robin stories are? Here, it just seems that Batman's continuity is pretty much intact. Mm-hmm. And by and large, it is, isn't it, based on what you've said to me? More or less. There is the difference in Batman Incorporated. But that's Grant Morrison's Batman. It's, yeah, but everyone dies in the Leviathan Strikes. Right. But then everyone comes, well, not everyone, but... Do they get better? Agents in Batman Incorporated are all killed. Right. Because of a trap that is set on Batman. But in the new one, Batman Incorporated number one for the new reboot, everyone's alive in it. And there's mentions of Grant Morrison's first JLA, where Metamorpho dies. Right. But that didn't happen anymore. So basically the Grant Morrison verse is off on its own. Only it isn't, because this new one takes place in the um, New 52, because in Batman and Robin... He mentioned Leviathan Strikes. Okay, fair enough. Green Lantern is pretty much the same, same, isn't it? Yeah, Jeff Johns still writes it, Blackest Night still happened, so did Rebirth, Flash Rebirth still happened. So how exactly was this a clean slate? Did Rebirth still happen? I believe Flash Rebirth must have still happened. It it still happened. Why not? Because it's still talking about the death of happened. But it must have done because he still remembers his mum dying and his mum living, which was in Rebirth. Nope. No? Because he comes out of Final Crisis into Rebirth. But there are no Crisis anymore. There are, which means Grant Morrison's Batman Incorporated he shouldn't be here because... <laughs> <laughs> We're going around in circles on this one, aren't we? <laughs> Having now read Flashpoint, thanks to Michael, which I hadn't done previously, some of the changes make a little bit more sense. Eobard Thorne, Reverse Flash, Professor Zoom, whatever, was only interested in screwing around with Barry Allen. So the fact that Bruce Wayne and Hal Jordan were largely unaffected makes a bit more sense. Exactly how all this accounts for the drastic retooling of Superman's origins, however, have yet to be explained. Nonetheless, DC proceeded apace. The complete list of new 52 books were announced, some of the changes were welcome. For those of us who like to eat, the main Superman books were still only two titles, Superman and Action Comics, and two ancillary books, Superboy and Supergirl. Batman still had four titles, with Grant Morrison's Batman Incorporated, we were told, on its way, and six ancillary books. Far more interesting was the idea where DC were going to bring back some war books and give OMAC another chance. Still, how on earth did they fail to give Sergeant Rock his own book and get Grant, um, Grant Morris, get Garth Ennis to write it. How did that not happen? Because Garth Ennis is writing for Dynamite doesn't want to write for DC. Has he got a problem with DC at the minute? I've no idea. Because he's not done any work for DC for a while. Didn't they kick him off with the boys? They didn't kick him off. They, they didn't the feel that the off. boys was suitable for them so it moved Why over to Dynamite. They have, what, for Vertigo? Exactly. But, whatever. Okay. Showing the change of the times, and unlike the crisis, Superman was not chosen to be the vanguard of this particular relaunch. This was both a shame and unsurprising at the same time. DC had long ago seemed to give up on the idea of Superman being their flagship character, and I think a strong argument can be made they haven't known what to do with him since the early 2000s. Instead, DC decided to kickstart the whole thing with a brand new Justice League number one, which is here in my shiny little hands. It does that 
does make a bit of sense, I suppose, launching it with Justice League. The Justice League are the flagship group of the DCU. All of the heavy hitters were President Correct on the cover, although the placement was somewhat odd. I, I should make it clear here we're talking about the initial cover by Jim Lee and Scott Williams, not one of the 11 variants that would follow. The cover has Batman front and centre, because he's Batman. Unsurprisingly, new DC executives and leader of the New 52 charge, Jeff Johns' favourites, The Flash and Green Lantern, also get prominent slots on the cover, along with Cyborg. Jeff Johns' extra favourite. No, really, Cyborg. Okay, fair Jeff enough. man crush yet again. Yeah, is that who he's man crushing on at the minute? Has yeah. he got over his crush on Hal Jordan and Barry Allen? Mm-hmm. And he's now focusing on Cyborg. Uh, Wonder Woman has a moderately prominent place, and it's her moderately prominent places that are given moderately prominent position. Because let's face it, when you're looking at Wonder Woman on that drawing there, what are, you, what are your eyes drawn to? The, um, the lasso. She's a wonder, Wonder Woman. Um, it's, it's, it's Jim Lee certainly learned a lot from all those Marvel um Yeah, those Marvel swimsuit editions. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah mm, Superman and Aquaman are kind of tucked away at the back, which kind of makes sense given that Aquaman's not even in it. And Superman, do you get the feeling they were hiding the fact he was in a different costume? Because if you saw that in black and white, it looks like he's wearing trunks. Mm. Well, and then we knew he was getting a new costume, eh? Well, I don't know. We I knew about, about the Bruce Springsteen Superman anyway. Did we? Yeah. But we may not have known about it. I don't remember. Um, it's a rather odd cover, if you look at it logically. The Flash is running at super speed. So how are Batman and Cyborg keeping up with him? Unless he's just... Jogging. He's just, like, jogging. He's so why walking. He's... <laughs> So that means he's the fastest power walker alive. Yeah. Excellent, brilliant. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, if the Batman, Flash and Cyborg are running on the floor, which, to be fair, isn't terribly clear because Batman seems to be what higher Wonder Woman than anyone else. Doing. Yeah, well, well, the implication, I presume, is Wonder Woman, Superman, Aquaman and Green Lantern are flying. What's Green Lantern got a minigun for? But, but Aquaman's running. That's mm. not a flying pose, that's running. Gene La- Green Lantern, Gene Lantern. Gene. <laughs> he's like Gene Hackman. Yeah. Uh, Gene Lantern has made a ring construct that looks like a Gatling gun and has a similar contraption on his wrist. If he fires that, he's going to deafen Batman. Dude. Or at the very least, give him tinnitus for the rest of his life. Yeah. But what's the uh, initial cover? Oh, the pencil one. Why? Because does that not make any more sense? The um, layout of that? The initial layout of the penciled one, yes. Except the initial the cyborg. The initial penciled one, they're all staggered in such a way that they all looked that they're not on the same plane. So the Flash is at the forefront, and then just behind him is Aquaman, just behind him is Batman, and then the three that can fly are at the very back, and then Victor Stone Cyborg is just kind of at the back going, Hey! Me! I'm in this boot, remember? Hello! I play football for a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know. So everyone's also looking at something different. Flash, Batman and Cyborg are all looking at an off-page adversary. Whilst Green Lantern's just stirring off into the middle distance, and Aquaman looks like he's just seen a particularly interesting billboard advertisement for Tampax. Um, but he does, doesn't he? He's like, oh, that's interesting. They just press on. <laughs> that's fascinating. What if Murrow wants some of them? Because apparently they absorb all of the, uh, all of the moisture. That's brilliant. <laughs> Especially helpful for somebody who lives underwater all the time. That's what he's doing. Um, Wonder Woman's concentrating on her lasso and Superman's asleep. Yeah. Isn't he? Superman's like, God, I'm bored. <laughs> Jeez. Maybe he's just, his costume's pinching him. Because mm. <laughs> it doesn't look like it's a two-piece anymore. No. Whereas at least the old costume you could accept that it was pants and a shirt. In action comics, we see him put it on and it's just one. Right, so how does he go to the toilet? Maybe he needs to pee. 
Uh, as I say, there are 11 other covers, some pencil variants, some second prints, some by other artists, like Ivan Reese David Finch, was there? Is that yeah, how many were there? So. Seven. And they all follow the rather tedious penchant we have these days of posed poster covers that make a lot of money on the secondary market and can be splashed all over Converse rather than being concerned with, you know, promoting the story that's actually in the comic. The yeah, whole well, shebang... How many Converse have you seen and gone, ooh, that looks cool? The Harley Quinn ones. Really I like cool. the Batman, Jim Lee Batman ones. Did you? It's all black. I like the thing. Superman ones, which is the 40 shot of him standing with the American Eagle on his arm. Yeah. I love that one. We saw that one in America. They were fantastic. And the Flash ones were really good mm. as well. But you're not cool for Converse. I'm, I'm, I can't, but I'm not cool enough for Converse. <laughs> uh, the whole shebang kicked off with a 40 page inaugural issue simply titled Justice League Part 1. Put a lot of imagination into it that. Was 40 title. pages? Yeah. Didn't read that long, did it? No. <laughs> It was written by Jeff Johns, penciled by Jim Lee, inked by Scott Williams. It's a modern comic book, so here we go. Alex Sinclair was the colorist, Patrick Brassard was the letterer, Rex Ogle was the associate editor, Eddie Berganza was the editor, Jim Lee, Scott Williams and Alex Sinclair did the cover, David Finch, Richard Friend and Peter Stierwald did the variant cover. A lot of people involved in making this. The story, such as it was, ran like this. Five years ago, the Batman is being pursued across the buildings of Gotham by the Gotham City Police Department. He, in turn, is pursuing a parademon, which isn't named, I just know it's a parademon. When the Gotham City Police Department almost nailed the Batman, he held some gas pellets at them from his utility belt, and then captures the parademon. Batman asks what he was doing at the docks. Sitting by the bay, replies the parademon. Watching the tide roll away, asks Batman. Alas, this doesn't happen because everybody speaks through gritted teeth. The parademon blows up, but that's okay because he's on fire, not dead, and starts pounding on the Batman. A green fire truck rams into the parademon, knocking Batman off the roof. Batman, surprisingly, isn't upset by this rather lackadaisical approach to crime fighting, and rather he tells the Green Lantern to turn off the green spotlight before they are seen. Green Lantern seems stunned that Batman is real and ignores him, and the GCPD show up and starts shooting at them. The parademon blasts them out of the sky. GL saves them and explains that he's here because the Green Lantern Corps alerted him to an extraterrestrial presence in Gotham City. They chit-chat for a bit. GL can't believe Batman has no powers, but Batman still steals his ring off him. Green Lantern takes it back and they spot a tarot a tarabeman a parademon fusing a box to a wall it screams for dark side as it explodes Green Lantern throws a construct around them and the flames die down they examine what's left cleverly deducing that this is an E.T. and Superman is an E.T. so they must be connected the pair head to Metropolis in Metropolis Victor Stone is playing rugby analogue American football and scores a winning try or touchdown whatever but his dad isn't there to see it so he calls it there are people here that want to sign him up but they need a parent or guardian present suddenly a green jet rolls overhead and Batman chides Green Lantern for his lack of subtlety Green Lantern says he's homed in on Superman and Batman and tells Batman to chill he can handle Superman a red and blue burn a red and blue blur knocks GL clean over the street I don't handle it easy says Superman um, going through the kook the kook bloody hell I've still got Darwin Cook on the brain uh, going through the book uh, the art on page one's very detailed and very pretty to look at because it's Jim Lee, obviously. But can I just say uh, how much I despise Jim Lee drawing Batman so I can see his ears through his cowl? Why? I, d- I just don't like it. It makes sense, though. It makes sense in this ultra-realistic world that we're trying to paint, 
but Batman shouldn't live in an ultra-realistic world. Why does it make sense that you can see... If when you were um, a what's it? Uh, you can still Christmas, see my ears popping out. When you were a balaclava over Christmas, you cannot see your ears. What if I want a balaclava over Christmas? Just go with me on this. Right. You can't see your, you can't see your ears normal. So don't give me this cack about being able to see his ears through his cowl is perfectly acceptable. That's because Bruce Wayne doesn't have hair like mine. And I'm assuming his cowl is, is like skin tight. It's some kind of skin no-flex armour on a metaflame flame frame. So it sticks to his head. Yeah, that. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I still don't like it. Um, also, with the annulments that I like, Lee, I think his art is real pretty. Um, does it not look a bit dated to you? Yeah. Yeah. Not with the colour, no. I just look at this and think it's 1995 again. The colouring does give it vibrancy. I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, I quite like Batman's new look, which is essentially the same as the old look. Just but it looks lines. a lot more streamlined in uh, Jim Lee's pencils. While a lot of artists draw Batman today more heavily armoured than Tony Stark, Lee actually manages to make this suit look practical and serviceable. Mm. Apart from the gloves. The gloves look a bit clunky, don't they? They do. They're very under Greg Capullo's pencils. Yeah, he makes them look really bulky, doesn't he? Mm. The very Batman begins the gloves. Yeah. But you see on the next page, yes. where Batman's back grapple goes straight through the parademon's leg. It goes straight through, right? Yeah, that would hurt. It, it, it would work. But he's absolutely fine after that. He doesn't limp or anything, no. But he grows metal armour out of nowhere. <laughs> yes, he does. And then turns into a spider. Uh, yeah, he takes the hood off. And he, yeah, he he's suddenly, fully battle armour. He, he gets full battle armour. Oh dear. Um, I want to know why Batman's just more pissed off that Green Lantern rammed his suspect with a fire engine and knocked him off the building. Mm. Well, uh, maybe it's because it turns into a robotic angel of death on the next page. Were? Oh, okay, I remember the page after that. <laughs> yeah, he did the parademon and suddenly got wings. Why was he shooting fire out of it? So that's a why was he running away from Batman if he's got wings? Where's the power armor come from? The, this makes even less sense than I thought it did. <laughs> um, we get a full page splash, um, and I want to know why Green Lantern's calves are thicker than his thighs, which doesn't make much sense to me. But I'm not an artist, so what an I know. I did like that Green Lantern saves the GCPD helicopters with a ring construct that's a big bat. I yeah. like that. And I like that they didn't just let the policemen die. But I probably would have had a few problems if they'd done that. So, Green Lantern's green water. Yeah. That actually isn't water. Yeah. Can put out the fires. Well, if Green Lantern can make bats that can lift up helicopters, I presume the sheer force of his will... Well, see, you're arguing that it's not actually there. So, you can buy that he can make fire trucks with the density of a fire truck because he can imagine that. Yeah. But... So you can't imagine that he can imagine water that will put out a real fire. No, because water is different from no, I'm not the disagreeing with construct you. he makes. Right. If he's making the water, then surely they'd be just solid streams of solid. So what you're saying then is that the ring can't make something like water. It's a construct, because not a it liquid. wouldn't come out real. Yeah. All right, fair enough. It's a valid point. I will, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. Um, I do have to admit, I'm not a fan of. Godlike, I can do anything, Batman. I do like the ultra cool Batman, and he's taking the ring off Green Lantern without Green Lantern knowing he'd done it. And some of the lines of dialogue here were pretty cool. I especially like this dialogue exchange on the top of this page, which doesn't have a page number, where um, Batman's just stood there going, "What's this do?" And Green Lantern's like, "The ring? How the hell did you get it off?" 
I don't see any buttons, so I'm guessing it works off concentration. You weren't concentrating. You won't do that again. Not unless I want to. Which I did actually think was funny. And the next line. Yeah. You really want to pick a fight with someone who can create anything he can think of? I'd be worried if I thought you could think. I thought it was really funny. I do have a problem with the earth on this page, though. Why? Well, Batman looks really damn cool, and we don't see Jim Lee's Batman looking like that anymore because of my problems with Jim Lee's new art. Right. Where it's less detailed just to keep it on schedule. Yeah. But... And presumably because he's getting no sleep because he's had a child. There is that, too. But... Green Lantern, his costume only disappears when you realise he doesn't have the ring on. Yeah. When it does get taken off. Yeah, that's fair enough. So the costume only appears. So if he thinks that the ring's there, yeah. does he still have it's the power? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? You're pulling this to bits more than me. I thought I'd be the one ripping this to shreds, and you'd be the one who will, actually. But, mm, yeah. Green placebo. Uh, a good point. Uh, there's a name check of Superman where they say it's said that he's an alien. So, Superman's origins are not fully known to the inhabitants of the DC universe. Is this a mistake? Um, if this is five years ago, but he's wearing the costume. The way I'm putting it is, the first seven or eight issues, with the exception of the little interlude in between, are all set before Justice League. Still set five years ago, but it's set... But before this. Yeah. Then this happens, and then in issue nine or ten, yeah. we see him talking to the Justice League. So right. Yes, we do. But the Justice League don't like him and don't trust him. That's after that really pretentious issue about how Superman's a corporate symbol now and doesn't represent freedom. You really don't like it, do you? I hated that one with a fiery passion. But that's what irritates me about Morrison because the next issue was really good. Yeah. So, no, I I despise that one. Um, Also, as of five years ago, everybody's operating openly, but they're feared and loathed by the people they've sworn to protect. It's the uncanny justice men. (laughs) Uh, There's... More on John's crush here, you know, with more extended daddy issues. Yeah, the well... It looks quite Gary Frankie here, though. It has been said that a lot of American fiction does deal with the central protagonist's relationship with his father. And sport. And it is a, a common thread, isn't it? Can you imagine, for example, Blake Seven, Avon, breaking down over his dad? I, I can't see that happening at all. Whereas in every American science fiction show, we get a scene with... John Sheridan and his dad in Babylon 5 and Spock and his dad in Star Trek and Kirk and his unresolved issues with the fact that his dad's dead in the new Star Trek. Gets a bit dull after a while. So the British don't have daddy issues. No, the British don't care, basically. We don't don't hug our fathers. (laughs) Unless you're you, obviously. What was that? Uh, There's a reference to LexCore, so I presume that's still around. Unless. Yeah, we'll still be around. Yeah. Mumford. And sons. Yeah, I was going to say, where's his son? Mumford are fighting Ford. Yeah, Mumford versus Ford. Ford. Clever. (laughs) Very good. You know that, that Jeff Johns. Um, Green Lantern's a real jerk in this issue, isn't he? He's cocky, he's overbearing, he's unpleasant. Whilst these traits were understandable in someone who has a massive ego and the greatest weapon in the universe, I can't help but think two things. One, this is what Guy Gardner was for. And two, why on earth would the ring choose someone with this personality? Maybe it's his person, the ring that gave him this personality. So you think the ring's evil? No, I think maybe the ring makes him overconfident and too cocky. Right, because as he calms down in his own book, or have you not been reading it? Because that's that's another thing I was going to ask you, is Guy Gardner around in the New 52? Um, Yeah. 
because at this point Hal Jordan has exactly the same personality as Guy Gardner mm. now I accept there's going to be a certain amount of character growth I presume the Hal Jordan who's in his own book isn't this cocky jerk no, I'm, I'm and I presume that this also tied in with the film he presumably yeah where he was a cocky jerk and the costume is similar and the costume is similar but for yeah. Green Lantern I'm waiting for the black it, brightest day trade paperback considering it's all one continuing anyway. big story yeah, yeah. well the, the penultimate page here yeah where we see the streaks of blue and red, red blue blur smallville all over smashing again smashing into Green Lantern yeah boom Superman just killed Green Lantern good <laughs> um, so and that Superman. strength and that speed yeah his head is no longer attached to him yeah good <laughs> I'm, I'm down with that on the last page Superman has red eye well, hey we see a a reprinted variant cover of Action Comics issue one. Is that what that is? Gimli. Yeah. It's very similar. Right, well, all that technology and they let that red eye slip through. Mm. That's just slack, isn't it? Although the red eye is quite overused, I like the streaks all around him coming from his eyes. Do you know who he looks like? Go on. Luka Kovac from here. Okay. Um, Go and get that ER box set your mum's currently watching in front of the telly. Okay. Okay, Michael's got ER box set. In here, Gorin Vizinjik played Luka Kovac. I am showing Michael a picture of Luka Kovac. Okay. I am showing Michael <laughs> Superman from the last page of Justice League number one. What do we think? It's, it's him, isn't it? Yeah. Younger, but it's him. What do we think of Superman's new suit? I, I've made my opinion on this plane. I've never asked you what you think of it. I do like it. Do you? Yes. What do you like about it? It does take away all the Superman's bulletproof and immortal and all that yeah because is it armor? armor no right in action comics it's a kind of like shape-shifting garment the costume itself is completely white right and it's more of um it's you know when you see this say um planet of the apes yeah you know the clothes were in at the beginning in the space travel yeah it's the, similar the, to that yeah, yeah but it, it changes shape depend, uh, depending on not shape, but the appearance of it changes depending on what the u- user is thinking of. Right, because I was going to say that later on in the story, it gets ripped, implying that it isn't armour. Mm. So I was a bit confused by that. Didn't we think for a while it was made from the ship? Yeah, we thought it was some part of the ship in some description. Mm. Um, I mean, the first thing is cliffhanger isn't really that exciting, is it? Superman arrives and poses in his spanky new duds. And acts as cocky as GL. Yeah, pretty much. I mean... For the first issue of a striking new relaunch, I thought this was quite ordinary. So for a start, not everyone's in it. Yeah, not everyone's in it. It's it's less a story, more of a bit of a story. It's the pre-credit sequence of a story. A tit bit of a story. It's also not an issue of the Justice League. It's part one of a graphic novel. It, yeah, it's the Brave and the Bold. We were promised a bold new era, a startling departure from the old and the way forward for comics. I'd have hoped that this would have been the end of this tedious trade writing that's played comics for the last decade. If the new oh, 52... No, we'll see, if the new 52 had been launched with an issue that hooked readers and wanted them to come back, surely a triple-sized issue with a complete story in it, still for the price of three ninety nine, would have been a nice lure. Look, it would have said, a complete story, not part one of six, not a chapter of a graphic novel, not a lie, a complete story. How novel... But but no, we don't get that. We had exactly the same thing we've been given for the past decade. We got a hot writer, a hot artist, a cover that is no way reflective of the contents and characters of said cover that aren't even in the issue. In what way is this new? Well, Expecting your audience to pay nearly $25 for a story that isn't going to get people through the door? You know what they should have done? What? Have a special, like, 
the 100 page special with yeah. all, loads of different writers and artists. Or just one big long This is the Justice League story. Yeah. Let's see bloody Starro for once. <laughs> Instead of it just being the final page teaser, which it is in this. Yeah. And it is in New Frontier. Show me that bloody story. <laughs> um, I mean, we've covered this before. And we did consider not covering it this week, didn't we? Because we've covered it before. Yeah. But we thought doing a six-part story and missing part one off was a bit stupid. Now, despite those problems, which are more part of the whole relaunch machine than of the issue itself, I still think this has its problems. We have no idea of the magnitude of the threat from this one issue. We know who Darkseid is, and what a parademon it is, and what a mother box is, because we've read comics all our lives. But this isn't supposed to be aimed at us. The whole point of this initiative, the reason DC have alienated a portion of their fan base, is to attract new readers. I honestly can't imagine a new reader reading this, and thinking this is any way exciting or worth spending another $4 on. It's the John Byrne Howard Mackey Spider-Man relaunch. Yeah. Relaunching everything in name only. Yeah. It follows straight on from what they did before there was nothing new about that there was nothing different about that and fans kicked off about why is this a relaunch yeah it's the same with this um there are some nice lines there's some good character beats batman's cool green lantern is cocky there's nothing to sink your teeth into it's in no way awful no i don't want anyone to get the impression i thought this was god awful it's just not very good and nor is it any different to what has gone before apparently I was alone in thinking this because this book sold over 200,000 copies it's and went to how many printings? About seven. Seven. But how is it collectible if there's seven printings? Well, this. Yeah. It, our first printing issue on will be a collectible one day. I don't think it will. I think it will. I think, think when your buy is, this will be in the 50p. Judging bins. from sales and the number of reprints it's had, I think this first printing number one will be a collectible. Which is all DC's focus on now. Both of us took part in that thing. That questionnaire they did. Yeah, and yeah. all the questions were about collectability. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. They weren't about new readers. No? Yeah, because it's still not available in train stations or airports or cinemas or supermarkets, though, is it? <laughs> um, as to be expected, most of the ads in this issue revolve around the New 52, and most of them are just the covers of the issues. Flash, Dark Knight, Green Lantern, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, I'll get a plug. Whilst the New 52 generally gets a two-page ad with all the covers on it, and there's a one-page like checklist of all 52 books. Yeah, it's a good advert. Mm. It's, it's an interesting advert. I used that for one of my tech courseworks. Do you? Oh, yeah, we, you did, We were you? doing about um, yeah. logos, and I did the DC logo. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Um, you get all the dates of release... See if you're interested in buying any more of them. DSX. Did I get that right? DSX. Well, that was close. Gets an ad, as does the Batman Converse that you have. Mm-hmm. And Midtown Comics feature an image of Superman in his traditional costume. Our good friends Gary and Chris Pete have just been to Midtown Comics in New York. Have they? Yeah. Does it live up to all the hype of I don't know, every advert in every comic? I've not spoken to but I know. Chris texted me on Facebook from um, from Midtown Comics. Okay. And uh, I hope they had a good time. Can we go to New York and Midtown Comics? Yeah, it would be lovely. Uh, Jar- Darren Shan gets an ad, which would be nice. I did like that the Midtown Comics ad had an image of Superman in his traditional costume. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. It's still Jim Lee. It's still Jim Lee, yeah. Okay. Um, Ryan Reynolds advertises milk, dressed as Green Lantern, and there's a sketchbook in the back with doodles of rejected costume designs. And the final ever DC Nation. Mm. And a comics reading public mourns. Well, not really. It was never as good as uh, Dick Giordano's Meanwhile column, was it? Issue 2 
came out on the 9th of October 2011. The cover has Superman kicking the crap out of Batman whilst Gene Lantern creates a chain construct that looks like kryptonite but can't be in the background. As is the norm for Lee, it's a perfectly lovely cover in terms of aesthetics, but once again, if you look closely, you'll see that Superman isn't looking at Batman or Green Lantern. He's looking kind of... Yeah, just past he's, us. he's kind of just stirring away from both of them like a particularly irritating wasp like just flew by and distracted he's, he's, him. He's beating the crap out of Batman whilst looking at that blonde's ass. <laughs> yeah, but more impressively, because he's Superman, he's looking at that blonde's ass six Half blocks way, away. Yeah. <laughs> she's sat in a Parisian cafe, yeah. supping coffee and, and going ciao, because she's Italian, but she's in France. And he's, he's eyeing her up going, she's a bit tasty. I know where I'm going for my mid-morning coffee. Not with Lois anymore. <laughs> well, he's not, no, I'm He's a free agent. Um, what's with the knee pads? Um, he has knee pads now. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Is he like the doctor? Yeah. I like bow ties. I wear bow ties now. Knee pads are cool now. Bow what's with cool. Superman's knee pads? Yeah, well, Superman's costume's just laughable in many ways, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, <laughs> it's my opinion. There were only two variant covers for this one, an Ivan Rice number that was another poster image of the Justice League and a Pencils variant of the Jim Lee cover. Justice League Part 2 is by all the same people as the first issue and as we've established before, I can't be asked with what happens there. So let's just jump straight into the story. At the Central City Crime Lab, Barry Allen is trying to get Director Singh to work fast to investigate a murder. Singh says that fast is the operative word as they be in order to drop everything and work on discovering as much as they can about the mysterious new figure called The Flash. Over in Metropolis, Superman tells Batman his utility belt is empty. He moves in, saying one of the strange boxes attacked him earlier and he wants to know where they came from. Green Lantern wakes up and swoops in and wraps Superman in a chain construct, but Superman shatters it. Green Lantern decides to call in help. Barry Allen, who is The Flash... Barry Allen, who is the Flash. Flash arrives and owns Superman for a few seconds while Superman gets his measure. He then takes Flash out with one finger. Batman manages to get a few words in and explains that the boxes attack them too and maybe he can help. The military police arrive and the heroes take off, reluctantly, as Batman reveals that there's more than one box. They may be in more trouble than they realise. Star Labs, Detroit. A group of scientists, one of whom is Victor Stone's father, Silas, you remember Vic from last issue, right? Investigate the box that attacked Superman. Victor shows up, they have a lovely father-son bonding moment, by which I mean they fall out, as Vic realises that Silas has no interest in him or football. In Metropolis, our heroes discuss what to do about the box. Flash says they could analyse it, dust it off for prints. Suddenly, the box starts ping, 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 ing. In Detroit, the same thing happens to their box. A large interdimensional explosion rends the very fabric of the Earth asunder, and more of the Parademons rush out to attack in both locations. But in Detroit, Victor Stone is caught in the blast. The, um, page one, the colouring in the last panel of page one is weird. Lee draws the panel so as to have half of Barry's face in shadow, but the colourist leaves it pink. Mm. So the effect makes it look like Barry's left eye just disappears. Yeah. It's just gone. He only has one eye. Yeah, he's only got one eye. He's deathstroke, the Flash. Or he's got pink eye. <laughs> Oh god! I find it very interesting that of all the characters for introduced properly, secret identity and everything, it's the Flash. Because mm. we don't get this for anybody else, do we? Nope. Nobody at all. Well, except for Cyborg. Well, Cyborg, we actually get an origin. Yeah. Because, like, you know, actually including the origins of all the characters for lesser writers. <laughs> you know those stupid writers that we don't like to talk about anymore. <laughs> those Bronze Age writers who did it all. So we don't, we're too good for that. I almost swore that. Uh, the thing I don't understand about Superman's new suit. Go on. They've gone out of the way to remove the red trunks, right? Yep. Yet they still draw the suit with trunks. They're just blue instead of red, but they're still those. Batman's the same. 
Yeah, well, Batman's vacillated between wearing his trunks for a while now, since the Tim Burton movies. Because mm. in the comics, for a while, he wore a costume that was all black, didn't he? And then he kind of went back to normal, and then he changed again, and he's vacillated between the two. Yeah. So it's it's not that big of a deal. And also, with Batman, it doesn't look as, as wrong. I don't know what it is. But when Superman's just wearing blue all the way it up... It doesn't look very bland. Yeah, there's there's just something about it that doesn't look right. I don't know why. I can't put my finger on exactly what it is I've not grown to like about it. Because from the waist up, I don't mind it. Hmm. It's just... Because I don't like the cuffs either. I don't like the cuffs either. Do you know that? No, I just, I'm just not a fan of them at all. Um... Oh, scroll down, it's you. Well, I, on this double-page spread, I do like how you see, like, loads of different things scattered about that Batman's tried. Yeah. But it hasn't worked. They feel like the Sonic Disruptor and his Batarangs and, and stuff. Electric cable. Yeah, it's really quite good. Uh, he's got red eye again. He really should learn how to use Photoshop, shouldn't he? Uh, two two-page splashes in seven pages. Pacing or padding? <laughs> you decide. Uh, Superman owning Green Lantern and Batman is pretty cool, actually. Superman trashes a cocky GL's green construct, and Batman is rendered quite impotent early on. It's been a while since we've seen Superman be a badass. Mm. So I, I did appreciate these scenes. Uh, we learn that GL's name is Hal. Yep. First or last name, however, isn't explained. The conversation between Green Lantern and Barry when the Flash shows up is very funny. Um, a few pithy one-liners amidst the action. At least they all aren't all stood around talking. Which they would be in other writers' comics mm. that shall remain nameless. There so, does seem to be a continuity discrepancy here. Because in the Flash comics I've just read, which is issue 7 through 9, Flash just met Gorilla Grodd for the first try time. Whereas here, they mention fighting a gorilla. Yeah, I noticed that too. But maybe mm. he could have forgot fighting him, or maybe it wasn't Grodd. Or... Because I'd forget a talking gorilla. But <laughs> in the, this Gorilla God issue, doesn't he not remember anything for like three quarters of the issue? Could be, yeah. So it may not be a mistake. It depends whether he's going to meet Gorilla God again. Yeah. Because is the Flash taking place now or five years ago? Now. Right. The only, the, the only titles taking place five years ago now are Action Comics. Right, so none of the others bother. Uh, again, the Flash-Superman fight is pretty cool. I like Lee's depictions of speed, and I like the Flash is faster than Superman. Flash wrapping Superman's head in his cape is humorous, and Superman taking him out with one finger was hysterical. Yeah. I, I, I actually did laugh quite, quite loud at that. Uh, I liked that through it all, Flash tried to talk to Superman, though, to end this fight peaceably. Hmm. Is it not a bit out of character that Superman didn't listen to him? Or are we in the old gritty, old, during new DC? We're in the Superman's as cocky as Green Lantern era now. Right, okay, fair enough. I, I must say, okay, that I'm a fan of the style abs jumpsuits. Really? Yes, I am. What do you like about them? I don't know, I like how it's one and the white pants turn into the size. Right. But, I am bored. <laughs> Two issues in, I am very bored of Cyborg's story so far. Okay. Now, I don't like sports. Fair enough. Right? And you and every other comic reader on the planet. Yeah, I, I read comics because they mostly aren't sports related. <laughs> I have no sympathy for Vic because his dad is too busy trying to protect the world rather than watch a, a game of rugby, football. Whatever it's called. Yeah. Mm. Um, see, I'm not trying to protect the world, but I always did make a point of trying to get to sports days. I didn't make all of them, but I tried. I, I know. It wouldn't kill him <laughs> to get to one game, would it? 
to be honest. It'll kill Victor. Um, <laughs> it is one of those things, again, the Wolfman Perez Cyborg Origin was done in one issue. Yeah. He was already Cyborg when the new Teen Titans started, and we found out his backstory as the issues went on. And then they did a mini-series, Tales of the Teen Titans, where they did the origins of them in one issue. Okay. So, they're kind of stretching out a bit here. I don't remember if it was exactly the same as this. I knew his dad saved his life when something went wrong, but it was something to do with his mum, I think. His mum's death okay. in the original Teen Titans story. Was he not attacked by a grizzly bear? Uh, he wasn't attacked by a grizzly bear, no. Like Brian Boitano. Because <laughs> what would Brian Boitano do if he was here today? I'm sure he'd kick an ass or two. That's what Brian Patano would do. Mm. Um, I love Howling Barry's line in this. Uh, again, we don't have page numbers, but... Uh, Barry, you're exposing your identity, says Hal after Flash tells Batman he's a forensic cop. And you just call me Barry, genius, says the Flash. <laughs> I did laugh out loud at that. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did find Hal, Hal seems like <clears throat> that person you wouldn't invite to parties. Hal seems like that person you wouldn't talk to. No. That annoying person while the girls fall around. But he's really a jerk. Oh, the annoying kid in the, who sits in the corner picking his nose who just says stupid things. Um, the story's unfolding moderately well at this point. We get past the idea that they may be aiming for a single monthly comic at an audience that may want to read a single monthly comic and are, in fact, still writing for the trade. Um, essentially, this issue's a big fight scene. It's a fun fight scene, more akin to a Marvel comic from the 60s and 70s than a DC comic. And it was at this point that it hit me. DC and Marvel have swapped places. Okay. Marvel is now the comp- company with the convoluted continuity in characters that are so far removed from their original intent that in some cases they're barely recognisable. Whilst DC is the universe where the heroes are mistrusted and outcast and they bicker with each other all the time. Is that valid? It's valid. Uh, there's a couple of pages at the back of this issue that purports to be extracts from an interview with a Captain Steve Trevor from Project Flight Project. From Project Flight to Paradise, there are mentions of the Amazons, Paradise Island, Aquaman, Atlantis, and David Graves, the author of a number of books on the mysteries of the world. Some of this will come into play in future storylines and other books. There's also a sketch page again, this time focusing on Batman and Superman. Uh, I quite like these peeks behind the scenes. Adwise, Once Upon a Time debuted, and the piss tape masquerading as a love letter, Big Bang Theory, starts on TBS. Very funny. Uh, Arkham City came out and there's a graphic novel and a soundtrack that has bands on it I like Surge Tankian and Panic in the Disco why are they on in this the soundtrack disco. Panic at the Disco mm. in. did I say in the Disco mm. you can panic in the Disco you can panic on the streets of London Okay. panic on the streets of Birmingham hang the DJ Hang, oh, it's Hang, hang the, DJ. the DJ. Why? What do you think he was saying Hang the DJ Hang the DJ right. uh, about Steve Wright is it yeah. Okay. Who's that writer you were banging on? You didn't mention who has people standing still in a fight whilst they talk to each other. Bendis. Is it? Yeah. They don't. I've just read the most of his Avengers and they talk whilst fighting. Oh, fair enough. Granted, they talk a lot, but they do it whilst fighting. <laughs> they talk a lot, but they're not saying Every- anything. Everyone's as cocky and jokey as Spider-Man. Yeah, when they shouldn't be. Hmm. Issue 3 dropped on November 16th, 2011, as posted a cover of Wonder Woman, hoisting something above her head as other leaguers fight behind her. It was but one of four variants, a deluxe edition, a pencils variant, and a different cover by Greg Capullo of the League. You guessed it, standing around. The League cover is a better choice this time, as at least it promises some action. It's called Justice League Part 3. Wow. It's by all the usual suspects. Uh, Wonder Woman busts loose from a residence in Washington after seeing the news reports. Loose in the streets, the Amazon warrior tastes the delicacy that is ice cream. Steve Trevor catches up with her. 
as I move my thing further down to read it. Steve Trevor catches up with her just as a group of parademons are let slip for war. In Detroit, Silas Stone refuses to believe his son is dead and rushes his broken and mangled body back to Star Labs. There he injects him with nanites of unknown origin and the Promethean skin graft is applied. Victor Stone awakens, glimpses something, something big, and there's a sound. Ping! In Metropolis, the parademons are appearing from portals and snatching people and the superheroes are being blamed. Superman, Batman, Flash and Green Lantern fight and notice that the people aren't being killed, just taken. Wonder Woman wades in to admiring glances from the men. With the parademons roused, a large structure looms out of the sea and the parademon quickly follows it, unconscious. And in his stead, Aquaman. Aquaman. <laughs> Has he got a shock repellent Aquaman? <laughs> Does Aquaman need shock repellent? I don't know about that. I just want to have blue boots on the cover of issue one. Oh, we don't see a boots. Uh, I have to be honest, I don't know how I feel about this naive warrior version of Wonder Woman. Okay. I don't really have a great deal of knowledge of Wonder Woman at all, really, beyond the basics, as I've read some of George Perez's stuff, John Burns' run, and I watched Linda Carter run, because watching Linda Carter run was fun <laughs> from a very early age. Was it? Jiggle television, I believe they called it. <laughs> Uh, as a new introduction to the character, I quite like her. She's funny, if a bit single-minded. And the beat with the ice cream was funny. I like her new costume, though I prefer the long pants if she's going to be fighting. She comes across more like a Klingon warrior, doesn't she? Mm. It is a good day to die. And the day is not yet filled with ice cream. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like that. Not knowing where she is or what anything is. Version. Uh, she just walks around with a sword in her hand and no one thinks this is unusual. Well, everyone's taking pictures of her, I suppose. Yeah. The Japanese tourists, though. Because that's not a stereotype. In any way, Well, yeah, they do. When I went to China, I wanted a bloody photo of me. And then, like, weeks later, when I got back home, there's some Chinese to- tourists. What did I want to do? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Well, um, T.O. Morrow in this looks a lot like Tony Stark. He does a bit, doesn't he? Dr. Yeah. Thomas Morrow. He does bear a, a striking resemblance to Tony Stark. Who did he create? Was it... Um, Amazon or Red Tornado yeah because who did the Metal Men Magnus yeah Will Magnus did the Metal Men mm. yeah Tio Morrow was um, Red Tornado wasn't he right I think so maybe he's going to be in it maybe the Red Tornado's going to show up at some point yeah um, I really like the fight scene in the middle of the book I have to confess the action's very frenetic and Superman gets some very cool stuff to do I especially liked him using a truck as a baseball bat I like that he looks like Superman here and doesn't have a younger Superboy-esque appearance of action comics. Mm. And having the wet her look like it's the 90s again. Um, right. So, Wonder Woman starts off in DC, right? She does. So she walks all the way from DC to Metropolis. Well, can Wonder Woman not fly? Um, She's fighting the parademons in Washington, D.C., that much is certain. Yes. And then we next time we see her, a couple of pages later, she's in Metropolis. Yes. Okay, no, yeah. It doesn't matter if she can fly or not. Aren't we assuming that Metropolis is a city similar in the similar area of New York? Is, it, is that where it is now? I'm not sure. I, I don't know anymore. I always thought that's where it was because of the Superman movies. Yeah, well, the Superman movies just filmed in New York, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. To be honest with you, um, it does seem a bit implausible that she's covered that distance on foot, but has she killed all the parademons in Washington, D.C. and then gone to Metropolis? How far is it from there? Well, seeing as Metropolis is fictional, I've no idea. It could just be next I door have, for all I have found a D.C. map where they put it in... For the new 52. 
Have they moved stuff around? I've no idea. Right. There'd be no keystone anymore. No, I wouldn't have thought so. Um, the nanites injected into Victor Stone seem in some way to be related to Darkseid. This little tease that Darkseid we get... Yeah. ...is it, it's, it's cool. It looks cool and mm. quite scary-ish. But... Because it's in Victor Stone's head, isn't it? Yeah. But it isn't as good as Kirby's. Kurt, right. No, I've, I've always said from the start, I have no problem with his storytelling, it's just his art. Okay. But whilst reading the Fourth World stuff, he's teased over a long period of time. He's mentioned. Mm. Um, and we see him on, like, the intercoms and video FaceTime. But you don't time. see him. Well, you do, but you don't get... But when you do get a full-on character reveal, it's more of a, ah, yeah. you've been teased for so long, this is such a payoff. Right. Whereas here, it's a boom on Darkseid. See, that's that's the point that I'm trying to make. By saying everything's five years old, they've already established the universe. There's no introductions, there's no payoff. There's no building up to Tim Drake discovering that Bruce Wayne's Batman to becoming Robin. There's yeah. none of that. Because, because he is. Yeah, they're just lazy. They want to get straight into what they're doing. Or it's my argument that the New 52 has been going on longer than we've known about it. Well, see, one of the things that when we oh, do Swamp he's, Thing... He's Robin in that picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we do Swamp Thing next week, is something I want to talk about, uh-huh. is that it isn't a new beginning. It's a melding of different timelines and something has changed somewhere. Um, it isn't a complete new beginning. My best guess at that is it's a continuation for Brightest Day. I'll get into it more then. It's a continuation for Brightest Day, but more has happened than we know of. Right. Well, there's been five years, though, that we know very little about. Yeah. So, all right, fair enough. So, Island Darkside. Yeah. Darkside Haven. Darkside's tropical metropolis resort. Yeah. Just has been lying underneath Metropolis, his newfound ocean, without anyone seeing it before. <laughs> yeah, because is Metropolis an ocean town? Apparently now. Well, because there used to be Hobbs Bay. Yeah. Implying that there was a coastline. But, yeah, because it's, cause it's not... Massive constructs, yeah. shining silver and gold just pops, pops up. up. Yeah. Because it's not that far away from land. And it's pretty big. And it's pretty large. Yeah. Um, this third issue is like all third issues in multi-part stories. It's, there's very little new information is imparted here, but at least we get some ass kicker. Too many comics are introspective these days, so a balls-out fight scene is appreciated. But after Green Lantern being a bit cocky, it now seems that Aquaman is as well. Mm. So is, is Jeff Johns just doing the writing Every, everyone, everyone with Jeff the same Jones voice? Is, yeah. Bit tedious, that isn't it? He's taking the Mark Miller approach. Yeah. Um, the mysterious David Graves, who writes books about the paranormal, mythical, and supernatural, is given a brief bio, and we read an extract of his new book, The Secret History of Atlantis. And it's Green Lantern's turn to get the sketchbook treatment mm. at the back, which is fine. A couple of interviews with some creators. Issue 4 came out on December 21st, 2011. I almost said 1993 And has a cover of Aquaman pointing his trident at a prone Green Lantern whilst waves crash upon the rocks behind him. As someone who's not really a big Aquaman fan, aside from reading some of Peter David's work on the character, I wonder why he's now wearing lots of chains, like some Atlantean Mr. T. Mm. Unless he's got his trident back and not his... Pentant. Yeah, he's got a proper trident. Now, at least it's not a posed cover of the League again. It's still so on, though, somewhere. It, it, no. Two of them are. Batman and Green Lantern. Well, it's Batman. 
Oh yeah, Batman's in the background. You know, I didn't even notice that Batman was there. I didn't <laughs> um, The digital combo variant is coloured to look like it's underwater, which presumably means Aquaman has killed the Green Lantern and Batman because, you know, they're underwater. Uh, there's a posed cover by Andy Kubert, which is okay, and a pencil variant of the original cover with different coloured second and third printings. Justice League Part 4 is by all the same people, yada yada yada. Victor Stone's body succumbs to the procedure initiated by his father. Suddenly, a parademon attacks the Star Labs facility and Victor's newly metallic body reconfigures and blasts the parademon to pieces. Now more machine than man, Victor is better, faster, stronger, but reacts badly. He leaps away, cursing his father. In Metropolis, Aquaman deduces that the parademons are taking the people to the structure that appeared out of the sea and they need a distraction. Green Lantern is picked after a brief squabble in which Aquaman proves his worth by having a bunch of sharks rick some parademons to shreds. Still more attack and Steve Trevor is told that they are under orders to attack all paranormal beings, including the heroes. Victor Stone, meanwhile, has been driven mad by the binging noise as Superman takes the fight to the military open fire and the Flash reluctantly helps out. Wonder Woman goes out and gets the men out of the choppers to safer ground when Victor Stone shows up through a mysterious portal that booms. He says that they go from world to world and he's coming here just as a large creature seemingly made out of stone appears and announces that I am Darkseid. I am Darkseid. Yeah, if you pronounce it wrong as a kid, which I did. Yeah, I don't think I pronounced it Darkseid. Oh, Darkseid. Darkseid. Um, the creation of Cyborg is almost all automatic with nanites and the gobbledygook that takes away from the difficulty of Silas Stone actually being the one who operated on his son to save his life, which I think was the um, original origin in the Wolfman Perez Teen Titans. Unlike the pre-post-crisis origin of Cyborg, where Victor Stone was almost eaten alive before his father, who then operated quickly, grafting into him then new technology to make the world's first cybernetic man, here it's all rather quick and easy. In the original, you felt both Victor and Silas's pain. Here it's done and over with. Similar to Amazing Spider-Man, which we mentioned earlier on the film, I felt the creators just chucked the origin away because they felt audiences already knew it. But this is aimed at new people. Hmm. So they shouldn't just assume that, should they? Uh, Wonder Woman's almost clinged-on outlook on life is pretty funny. Oddly, her new costume has grown on me a lot, whilst I'm still not a fan of Superman, so I don't know why that would be. Uh, I don't like all the unnecessary lines, a problem with a lot of the new 52 costumes. I don't like the inconsistency of it. Is it armour or not? Because it's both. It just doesn't look good. It's okay, but it's not great. Um, Batman's is armour. Yeah, well, I would imagine Batman to have some elements of armour. It's different bits put together. Is it? You know the yellow bits? Mm. That's what it separates into its own little bit. Is that for when he puts it in his ring? Mm. Possibly. Right, okay. Uh, GL is a huge knobhead in this story, once again. <laughs> Granted, Aquaman's a bit of a bonehead as well, but we'll cut him some slack as the leader of the seas. Green Lantern's also incredibly flippant in this book, in an almost Spider-Man-like way. But he doesn't have Spider-Man's charm. Yeah. Um, Aquaman summoning a swarm of sharks to attack is goofy, but fun. It's, it's better in Blackest Night when there's zombie sharks. Oh, right, because zombie sharks make everything better. They do. Catching <laughs> zombie sharks popping out and eating parademons. Yeah, yeah, that, that would be would be fun. Yeah. Uh, love the look on Superman's face as he gets hit by gunfire. And it's just kind of like the bullet hitting him in the head is just a minor annoyance. It's like a fly buzzing yeah. around us. <laughs> a mere scratch. Yeah. A mere flesh wound. Um, I, I do like Batman laughing at Green Lantern, although we don't see it. What? And uh, when he's touching Wonder Woman's lasso and he goes on the back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he accidentally brushes against Wonder Woman's lasso, doesn't he? Yeah. And uh, tells the truth. And Batman laughs at him. 
I like Batman with a sense of humour, mm. which is always fun. Um, what exactly is Darkseid doing in this two-page splash at the end? Which follows another two-page Which page. follows another two-page splash, yeah. Is he stomping his feet? Or praying? Or letting a huge fart slide out? He's gesturing and the surrounding area just disintegrates and the heroes just fall over. I've never understood this. Okay, fair so enough. He, he might be controlling the Earth. What, so just cast them aside? Well, that's a power I've never seen him have before. Mm. So I have no idea what he's doing, unless he's summoning loads of different mother boxes planted on the floor that we don't know about to explode. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Um, this issue wasn't as good as the previous ones and actually felt very padded. There's no real forward momentum in the story after the arrival of Aquaman, other than the introduction of Darkseid. All elements that with a bit of restructuring could have been moved into last issue without too much hassle. Especially as this issue, as Michael pointed out, has two full-page splashes, two two-page splashes, and three pages that are almost full-page splashes. Uh, this is no more evident than Batman's rule, which is reduced to nothing when in combat with all these heavy hitters. I'm sure it wasn't Jeff Johns' intent to demonstrate how useless Batman is when he's put into situations like this, but he managed it all the same. Uh, watch Batman be the one that saves the day in issue six. Mm. And I wrote that before I read issue 6 um, issue 5 or do you have an opinion on it as a single entity no ok issue 5 came out on the 18th of January 2012 the, this month's posed cover has Cyborg in centre stage and is missing Batman and Flash the heroes all look like they're about to attack something but we know not what as is the norm variants abound penciled ones different coloured ones and a different posed cover by artist Eric Basil Dua, which rather foolishly Gene, Lan- Gene Lantern again has created a Gene Lantern created Star Trek. Did it? Yeah. Uh, has created a machine gun construct on his back and the gun turrets are over his shoulder. I hope he's smarter than he looks and has created earplugs as well, or he's going to blow his eardrums out. He's not thought that through, has he? Probably not. Uh, see if you can guess the title. Is it, um, God Save the Day? <laughs> No, if you guess Justice League Part 5, nominate yourself for a and the Rocky Balboa Award for Least Imaginative Title goes to Oscar. Ah. Uh, the usual suspects wrote and drew it. <clears throat> Flash wakes up first to see Darkseid blast planes out of the earth indiscriminately with beams from his eyes. Superman wakes up next, but Darkseid fires those self-same beams at him and they pursue Flash and Superman. Flash outthinks his, running towards a parademon and vibrating through at the last second, causing the beams to impact upon it. But Superman who apparently isn't too bright in the new universe, is blasted. The parademons catch him in mid-air and take him to the structure. Flash returns to the other heroes who are rousing and tells them what's occurred. Green Lantern gets all cocky and attacks Darkseid with a mace construct, but Darkseid shrugs him off. Green Lantern presses the attack and Darkseid breaks his arm and then just leaves. Wonder Woman, Aquaman and Cyborg don't even try and stop him. Batman approaches Green Lantern and tells him that they are somewhat alike and it seems like they are the only normal people around. I'd say the Flash was the most normal alongside Batman in temperament anyway, but presumably Batman is buttering Green Lantern up. He takes off the cape, cowl and insignia from his chest and holds his arms up for the parademons. He tells Green Lantern that he is Bruce Wayne and he needs to get the others to work as a team. Then, as the parademons take him, he says he's off to find Superman. Green Lantern mangles the words but manages to formulate a plan as Bruce seems to walk through a portal to see what looks like an industrial complex planet full of lava pits and chimneys. Hell's come to Frogtown. Oh, Metropolis. Um, I didn't understand how the Flash came to be on his own at the beginning of this issue, when they were all stood together at the end of last issue. Mm. 
but the continuity is all over the place in this issue. It is. As we'll see as we go along. Uh, the Flash Superman scene of them out racing Darkseid's Mega Beams was pretty well handled by Lee and Williams. We get one of those really cool above shots of um, Metropolis and Superman and the Flash zipping through the different streets. Mm. It was quite good. I do the, like that. The art looks different, this issue. Did you not think? It looks different from... It, the art varies. Right. Over the series, it looks different. Depending on how much time he's got to actually pencil it. Oh. Yeah, alright, fair enough. I, I, I do like that panel. Though. Yeah, like, it's great. I, the things like these are like following yeah. what comes from. Well, so I presume the red one's the Superman. The Omega Beams. The darker red one is Superman. Oh, right, yeah. The yes. yellow one. Is Flash. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I like that. It's very good. Uh, the Flash's chin strap disappears on the bottom of page five. Yeah. For no readily explained reason. Is this the colour? Because you can see... I presume it's a colouring error. Yeah, rather than a, an actual drawing error. Um, Superman's new costume can rip. So we've already established that there must be something more to it than just armour. Is Darkseid bored of something in this issue? Yeah. <laughs> You're more bored than the reader. He's certainly boring me. He just, that was pithy. Uh, he just stands about like a scared child in a play who's terrified to go on and perform. <laughs> so he just stands behind the curtain until a flying green man jumps at him. Which is really disappointing, because I was looking forward to this when they revealed it was Darkseid. Mm, and was it a big letdown? It was. Right. Um, as we've mentioned, everyone has the wet, slick 90s hairstyle. Uh, I did like the conversation between Batman and Green Lantern. I thought that was quite good. We're given some insights into Green Lantern's character, such as his desire to live up to someone, and that he doesn't let anyone get close. Batman recognises these character traits and then tells him who he is. It's an amusing scene when Green Lantern has no idea who Bruce Wayne is. Mm. But Bruce is the only character other than the Flash whose real name we learn. Granted, Wonder Woman, Aquaman and Cyborg don't really have secret identities. Bruce takes off his cape, cowl and chest insignia because apparently he just peels off. Apparently. I didn't get that. Is Wayne Enterprises not a big name in the DCU? Maybe Green Lantern just doesn't pay attention to the news. Maybe he doesn't pay attention to the surroundings or yeah, anything. or anything. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I, I don't see why Bruce had to take off his cape, cowl and insignia. Why couldn't he have saved Superman as Batman? Yeah, I didn't understand that. Because yeah. it's not like the parademons occur. I'm sure they would have picked him up yeah. and took him. So, yeah, that, that wasn't adequately explained. Um, in the new continuity, Bruce's parents were murdered when he was 10. The official wiki at DC Comics says simply, as a young boy. I always thought it was established that he was 8 years old when his parents were killed. Or is this something that's nebulous and changes? I don't know. I don't, I don't know an age. I thought he was eight for some reason. I had the number eight in my head. Mm-hmm. I freely admit I may have made that up. Yeah. Plucked it out of the ether somewhere. Um, likewise, I don't know how Bruce's analogy holds up. We've got to stop playing baseball and start playing football, he says. Aren't they both team sports? Uh, yeah. Or is this more a case of baseball being a team of people that play together, but football's a team of people playing as one? I didn't, I didn't get his sports analogy. Granted, Green Lantern's mangling of it. We need to play football instead of getting up to bat. It's quite funny. Mm. And as is Wonder Woman's reply to Gene Lantern, Gene Lantern <laughs> again, uh, to his statement that the beams shoot out of his eyes, right? <laughs> so we blind him, replies Wonder Woman. <laughs> Come on, that was funny. Mm. Batman's chest insignia is back on the penultimate page of the story. Yes, it is. Despite him peeling it off in an earlier page. I did like the reveal of Apocalypse. On is it ever named? No, it's not. No, it's not. I only never. know it's Apocalypse because, because 
I know what apocalypse yeah, is. Because we know what apocalypse is. Um, it was better than last issue. I'll give it that. The story still moves pretty fast, perhaps a little too fast in places, but there's forward momentum and the fight scenes are pretty good. Green Lantern is still portrayed as a bit dim, as is Superman, but it was it's a perfectly entertaining issue for all that. Uh, Wonder Woman, Cyborg and Aquaman get the sketchbook treatment this time. There's a sneak peek at Suicide Squad and most of the ads are for New 52 books. Sadly, Jerry Robinson's obituaries on the last page, mm. which is quite sad. Lame sketchbook bit as well. Well, they yeah. use screenshots out of their own issues. Do they? Yeah. Mm, okay. Um, Justice League Six is by all the same people. It has a cover of the unnamed Justice League kneeling before Darkseid, all except Superman, who is held in stasis with Omega Beams, I think, and Batman, who struggles to his feet. Again, numerous variants were replete upon the comic book stands. Again, pencil variants, coloured second prints, and a shot of Darkseid by Ivan Reese. Um, it's by all the same people and called the same thing apart from it's got part 6 at the end of it the Justice League launch an all out attack on Darkseid Wonder Woman uses a lasso of truth to try and figure out why Darkseid is here for her is all he will say Victor Stone meanwhile is linked to the metal cubes mother boxes and can see through a network of portals called boom tubes that there are other worlds burning like ours he can also see Batman Batman has found Superman has apparently been used to create a new breed of soldier to locate Darkseid's missing daughter. Back on Earth, Wonder Woman stabs Darkseid in the eye with her sword and Aquaman does the other eye with his trident. Victor deduces that they could send Darkseid home if he can tap into mother boxes and order them in their language to open a boom tube. Victor pings the mother boxes and opens a boom tube that conveniently opens right above Batman and Superman. Batman uses the distraction to free Superman from the stasis field and, horrified by what he's seen, Superman plunges through the boom tube and ploughs into Darkseid. Batman orders Victor to shut down the boom tube quickly. Vic succeeds and all the boom tubes shut simultaneously, pulling Darkseid and his parademons back whence they came. I will return, screams Darkseid as the boom tube shut down and every mother box fries. Sometime later, the team are awarded an honour in Washington and Flash names them the Super Seven and that they will be around should this happen again. Green Lantern and Aquaman don't seem too happy about it, but oddly Batman thinks it's a good idea and we close on a copy of David Graves' new book, Justice League Gods Amongst Men, which has a cover of them fighting Starro. Later, two shadowy figures meet up and say that all these superheroes must mean that they are supervillains. They're, they're also wearing the... You know what David Graves looks like in the newest issues? Yeah. They're wearing his face on the badges and... Oh, right, I was wondering if that was supposed to mean something oh, to you. it looks very similar to the skull thing that Pandora picks up in the free comic book day issue. Yeah, and it looks like the red skull, but silver. Well, but it's a skull. The silver so. skull. Um, the opening page has narration on it from a family all believing themselves to be doomed and then seeing the Justice League and gaining a bit of hope. The page works fine in and of itself. Uh, but works better without the narration because the inclusion of it's a bit jarring. David Grace, he's working on the book. He's also the bad guy in the latest issues. Right, I'm, I'm glad that that was made clear because she does call him David. So and him writing the book at the end, but yeah, yeah. Um, Darkseid says he came here for her. Yes. Now you pointed out that he's looking for his missing daughter. Yes. The three times I read this, I did not see that. Did you not see that line? I did not see that line. It says he's looking for his daughter. And fair enough. Yeah. Well, I thought maybe he knows Pandora and possibly the Flashpoint. Maybe Pandora is his daughter. Since he knew about Christ on Infinite Earths and Infinite Crisis. Mm. Pandora may very well be the daughter. See, we don't know that yet, do we? Uh, if Cyborg can see Batman when he taps into the the whatever it is he taps into... Why can't he see Superman? Yeah, why can't he see Superman who is with him? Yeah. Now, granted, this may not help him narrow down exactly where they are, given that there seems to be boob tubes everywhere, but surely it's a start... 
Wonder Woman sticking her sword in Darkseid's eye has a certain element of coolness to it. However, the look of unbridled joy on her face is a bit chilling. <laughs> she looks like she's just having a laugh. And so, yeah. oh, just stabbed somebody in the eye. <laughs> Time for ice cream. Um, Desad's new look is very creepy in this. Where's Desad? He's on. He's torturing Superman. Is that Desad? Yes. Is he named? Uh, in an interview with Jeff Johns. Oh, yeah, I'd be more scared of this guy than the dopey-ass, fugly old D-side in the old the Kirby comics, but... I quite liked the old D-side. Fair enough. To be honest I think this one's a lot creepier. Yeah, I did like the exchange between Victor and Green Lantern. I have to connect with them, speak their language, which is what? Ping! Whatever the hell that is. I, quite, I, did, I found that was quite... Some of the dialogue was quite good. I didn't mm. have a problem with the dialogue. Uh, ping is a computer science term for testing whether a remote connection is working. Okay. I used to use it all the time when I was working in high school as the ICT installator person who kept all the computers going. I never twigged before. Yeah. And I wonder if the people who named it Ping got it from the comics. Named them after the mother boxes. Yeah, I wonder if they, they were fans of Jack Kirby's. It would make sense, wouldn't it? Superman mentions a multiverse yes, when Batman does. saves him. Yeah. So this, Earth 2 and World's Finders, kind of made me wonder if DC are too scared to start fresh and get rid of the multiverse. What do you Granted, mean, wonder if? With Green Lantern and Batman and a lot of other titles and exactly news. Yeah, that's true. Um, where the hell did Batman get his spur cowl from? His utility belt. <laughs> yeah. Because they, they get back to Earth through the boom tube and he just pulls a spur cowl out of his ass, doesn't he? He just appears. And... Um, we get the nice big climactic fight scene and it's fine. But what on earth is Batman doing at the Assembly at Washington in broad daylight? Um, they wanted to honour him, so he... You think he'd have turned up? There is that. I, I just, I just, that seemed to be uh, very out of character, to mm. be honest with you. Well, um, the image of David Graves' mug. Yeah. Okay. The little frog there. Yeah. Did you know that that is Alex Sinclair's DeviantArt profile picture? Is it? Yep. I did not know that. No. Should I have known that? No. Okay, fair enough. Um, the new DCU president doesn't seem to be Obama, but this was five years ago, wasn't it? It would have been Bush, yeah. Doesn't look like Bush either, though, does it? Does it? Who does it look like? It looks like Agent Coulson, doesn't it? <laughs> To be honest with you, yeah. but, you know, uh, I did like the dialogue here and some of the justifications to why Aquaman was orange and that Green Lantern was a uniform. And I like David Graves, his kid Colin, and the Super Friends. I was a little put off by Batman being here in broad daylight, given that no one knew he was even real back at the beginning of issue one. But my real problem, as you've probably guessed, is with the story as a whole. We covered the formation of the Justice League, albeit tangentially in New Frontier, and that ended in exactly the same way. A shot of the Justice League fighting Starro. Can we not have the Justice League fighting Starro, please? How about actually showing us the first Justice League story? That'd be cool, but no. We get warmed over Kirby again. And yet, it's not done with any of the grandeur or raw power that Kirby brings to the fourth world, which is never mentioned as such in the story. Jim Lee's work is flashy and serviceable, but lacks the presence and energy of Kirby at his best. And I'm not the biggest Kirby fan in the world. Mm -hmm. And you're not either. I appreciate him for his place in the, the firmament. Yeah. And I, like, I do like a lot of his stuff. He's not one of my favourite artists. But I think he's got more power behind his work 
than Jim Lee has in this. There are none of the larger-than-life yet slightly silly but fun characters that populated the Fourth World books. According to this story, Darkseid's a big rocky guy who just stands there doing jack-all. <laughs> As you pointed out, yeah. he doesn't really do anything, does he? At no point in the series do we learn that Victor Stone is called Cyborg, or that Green Lantern and Superman have a real name. Batman says they call him Aquaman. At no point does he identify himself. So who calls him Aquaman? Is this just a nickname? Have we met Aquaman before? So has, has he been Aquafresh given Aquafresh for most of Yeah, this? he nicknames him Aquafresh. Yeah. But who gave him the name Aquaman? We don't learn what Darkseid wants or why he's here other than that brief line of dialogue. And then his title. Oh, good. Because there's a bit now where it's set years ago. Well, not set yet, but we learn his history and it's right. then... Right. So that's where we learn he's got his name. We don't learn why Darkseid wants his daughter other than, you know... She's his daughter, but does he want her for a specific reason? Has she been kidnapped? Why does he think she's on Earth? Why is that badge in the last page supposed to mean anything to him? You've mentioned that it's in subsequent issues. But it's not... It's just a badge in this. It's not a complete story in and of itself, even with little teases. Mm. One would have thought that over six issues we'd, we'd have learned things given that the villain having some kind of motive is slightly important to your overall story. Yeah. But this story isn't concerned with that. It's concerned with being cool for the sake of being cool. So we get splash pages instead of characterization. We get a fast pace instead of a rich story. So that we'll all go, ooh, look at the pretty, and not go, wait a minute. As a primer for new readers, this just isn't that good. It's a summer popcorn muncher. It has its moments, but there's nothing here to chew on afterwards. And to add insult to injury, this story would have cost a new reader $24, more than a trip to the cinema. It's more decompressed, style over substance, wait for the trade, welcome to the new DCU, same as the old DCU. Counterpoint. Mm. Oh, do you not have one there? <laughs> See, I enjoyed it because I... Well, I'm not an exactly an old reader. No. But I'm a reader who knows his stuff. Yes. And this is aimed at, at you. me instead of who it should be aimed at, which is a new reader. See, if we could have conned them into it, maybe we should have got your mum or your brother to read this and tell us what they thought of it. Does it work for a new reader? Mm. That would have been a nice experiment, wouldn't well, it? Well, I got him reading some new DC stuff and then he got the TV back. Yeah, right, well, that explains a great deal. Uh, at the end of the issue, we get a short backup strip called Pandora by Jeff Johns and Carlos Deanda. Uh, a purple-hooded woman named Pandora is investigated by the Phantom Stranger. Um, we're told that she's realigned reality and that she needs to find and imprison the Strange. And the JLA will help her, whether they want to or not. Uh, Again, it's all set up, no answers. Story set outside the reality changing, giving DC a back door if this had tanked and they'd wanted to uh, go back to the old continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, you've not said what you thought of it. I enjoyed it. See, I enjoyed dumb as it. Dirt when you think about it. Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? It's yeah. dumber than dirt. And I probably enjoyed it as much as I did because it's aimed at me. Yeah. See, you can take the mick out of a lot of Bronze and Silver Age stories, but at least they kind of hold up and they win you over with the sheer verve and imagination. Yeah. Kirby, the fourth world stuff, has won you over just by the sheer power of its storytelling. Well, And it's... this You, you cannot look me in the eye and say this is as good as Jack Kirby's fourth world. It's not because of how it's written and how it's... They want everything teams. now, don't they? Yeah. They don't want to wait for anything. It is, I suppose in that respect then, it is very much a byproduct of the current generation. Mm. They, they want everything now. They don't want to wait for it. Speaking of which, you're going to have to wait another seven days for another episode. Sorry about that. 
Next week, Michael takes the reins again. So if you enjoyed Flashpoint and Blackest Night and whichever other one you did. Transmet. Transmetropolitan, yeah, whichever. Uh, next week is all Michael editing, producing and writing. Yep. It's all about you, isn't it? So Swamp Thing is next week's new 52 title. We'll hope you join us. Thank you for listening. Drop us a line if you want to, and we'll be back next week with more of the same. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production, and all opinions expressed in the show by Michael and Andrew are the opinions of Michael and Andrew, and probably not to be taken too seriously. Old episodes of the show can now be found on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. That's T W O T R U E F R E A K S dot Libson, L I B S Y N dot com. So if you're one of those people who'd be wanting to know where all our old shows are, that's where you'll find them. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday, currently at aplayland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the surname. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics that we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks, all one word, .com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.